Recorded live. Seven minutes until showtime. Six minutes until showtime. Five minutes until showtime. Four minutes until showtime.
three minutes until showtime. Two minutes until showtime. One minute until showtime. Your show will go live in five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Love Talk Radio. Well, let's get it going, guys, ladies out there. This is your boy, Pastor Also, broadcasting live from the cabaret in the sky. And when I'm not busy doing my soloing on my two horns, I just tune in to the audience for this. We all be news and radio. Somebody be with another dude. Oh, yeah. James Reese Europe, Jazz Lieutenant, which is featured on the Smithsonian Institute's recommended jazz books for kids and young adults list, is available on Amazon.com. Get your autographed copy of the award winning James Reese Europe, Jazz Lieutenant at the official website, www.amazon.com.
jazzlieutenant.blogspot.com. Once again, get your autographed copy at www.jazzlieutenant.blogspot.com. Ask not what we all did to do for you. Ask what you can do for we all be. We all be needs you to join the movement. On April 10th, 2006, a movement was born. Please give to grow the cause today. We all be has grown from being just an idea and a blog to a multimedia force of nature for true information dissemination to uplift, empower, and liberate the masses in the 21st century. The people must know before they can act. It takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to raise a movement. We all be needs the village to respond in order to ensure that the we all be movement grows up to its fullest potential. Please send your love donations or donate your fair change for change via our PayPal link located on our official website. Weallbe.blogspot.com or mail your love donations to the following address. Attention, Ronald Hurd II. The We All Be Group Incorporated. P.O. Box 752-062, Memphis, Tennessee, 38175. Your financial support would help us continue our mission to educate the masses via We All Be News, Radio, and TV. And please remember, we all be in it to win it. So get in the game and do your part today. We love you madly.
Another wonderful edutainment edition of the Artist Presents. We all be news and radio. I'm your host for the empowerment segment, Brother Ron, also known as R2, C2, H2, the Artist. And we got a special one, boys and girls, scholars and laymen, on today, ladies and gentlemen. We got a special one, a hot burner, uh, Be More Confidential. That's Baltimore with Brother Darren Muhammad who is the unofficial mayor of Baltimore. He has a radio show called The State of the City, and I also consider him the voice of the city. I'm trying to steal some of his coin, his swag a little bit. But this guy is very impressive because uh, this past Memorial Day weekend, Brother Darren Mahoney gave me a thorough education in the social, economic, political uh, dynamics of what is known as Baltimore, Maryland. The city is, is is insane, like the extreme levels of poverty and wealth, the racial division, all that stuff. He gave me a six-hour tour. You know, started with his radio show. I really appreciate sitting in, listening to the brother, working his craft in person. He's a master of his craft. He's a master teacher, a uh, master researcher. But also, he took the time out of his schedule to show me around his beloved city, his charm city. He definitely possessed the charm and the wisdom and the knowledge. And um, like I said, if you ever are in the B-more area, listen to Brother Darren Muhammad. Actually, listen to him online, but also uh, connect with Brother Darren Muhammad. I mean, he's one of the best two guys, historians around bar none. And I really appreciate that. So I wanted to bring 
a little bit of that flavor uh, to my show for today. This is like this is why I do what I do. I want to provide a platform for those voices that need to be heard and also amplified. So feel free, family, to call in, Eric code 646-652-4593. Once again, that's Eric code 646-652-4593. Now, if you're scared, you're on the air, I'm about to open up the chat room. So feel free to type in your questions, comments, or concerns in the chat room. And this is going to be a, a phenomenal show. I couldn't think of a better person to really start out the month of June with in terms of bringing back my show in the air. And I would get a show yesterday. But, you know, people have been texting me, emailing me, calling me about where I'm going to do another show. And, you know, I was inspired by Brother Muhammad to come back on the air because we're doing a lot of traveling. Uh, the last two weeks of May, I've been on the road. I've literally driven thousands of miles on the road in the southern and eastern part of the United States, uh, visiting relatives, going to graduation, and also interviewing people on the scene. So feel free to check us out also at our official YouTube channel. This is youtube.com backslash we all be TV. It's third, no, we all be TV. You see all these great stuff we did. We went to North Charleston, interviewed a uh, guy named Brother Phil Hyman on the scene of the Walter Scott uh, shooting, which is very fascinating. Interviewed a couple of activists and people down there, including my uncle James French, who is the founder and owner of the Charleston Chronicle, the state's oldest black owned newspaper. This is going to be available today. And also, we had a chance to go to Charm City, to be more, to interview Bird of Darren Muhammad at the scene of the crucifixion, at the scene of the epicenter of all that's going on, because it's going to be a long, hot-ass summer. So we want to get y'all the thorough knowledge of what's going down in be more town and in a town near you. So without further ado, we're going to bring on Brother Darren Muhammad. Brother Darren, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here, Brother Ron. How are you, my brother? Peace. I'm good, man. I'm here. Of course, uh, to your audience, brother. So just thank you uh, for the invitation to join you on your show today. Honor is all mine. So thank you very much, brother. I mean, it's an honor to have you on, man. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been excited, you know, been up almost all this morning just trying to promote it and get people the word because, I mean, you are a true church. I call you the, uh, the unofficial mayor of more because you love their town and you got so much history and so much knowledge and so much political wisdom of what's going down. And I definitely get my audience a chance to be uh, indoctrinated in the right way in terms of what's going on with B-more, to have a thorough understanding. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we'll do our best as we can to share the information, brother, uh, as you see fit in terms of your questions. I'll do the best to um, uh, engage you with the uh, information. And, um, again, just thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation today, brother. Oh, definitely. I mean, because Brother Dick Gregory, Bobby Dick Gregory thinks very highly of you, and so does Brother Carl Nelson. And these are people, our elders, master teachers in their own right. And they know that you are one of the chosen yeah. ones, and the universal God picked you for this mission. And it was my honor to meet you in, in, in your element. So I just started off, I mean, we could start off with so many points because you know so much about what's going on. But my concern is this. Like, I noticed when I was in Baltimore that a lot of people were making a big deal about the fact that uh, – Y'all actually reached 100 homicides before the end of May. Mm-hmm. And like somebody said, last year it took y'all to July to reach 100 homicides. And I'm noticing in places like Ferguson and Beemore, all over the place where they have these police brutality rallies and movements, that the homicide rate seems to really escalate. So I want to know what's going on with that. Is there a, some type of sinister connection going on, Brother Muhammad? Sure. Yes, sir. Well, absolutely, brother. As we look at what happened, um, 
with the death of Freddie Gray, but not just the death of Freddie Gray, but prior to uh, Freddie Gray. One of the biggest stories was the FBI and the Department of Justice use of an equipment, an illegal equipment called Stingray, which is the technology that they've used to basically uh, spy on citizens in Baltimore. And out of all the cities in America, number one place where the Stingray technology was being used was in Baltimore. And the FBI, along with the Department of Justice, had put uh, the Baltimore City Police Department, uh, the Maryland State, uh, Baltimore City State's Attorney's Office, which means Marilyn Mosby, and the uh, State's Attorney prior to Marilyn Mosby, whose name was Greg Bernstein, they were sworn to secrecy. They could not reveal this information publicly. And so many cases had to be thrown out uh, because they could not reveal the source of the information that they were using to obtain a lot of the information that they were obtaining on quote-unquote drug suspects and just on ordinary citizens. So uh, it's been my belief that many of these shootings and many of these killings that have occurred uh, since the death of Freddie Gray, since the uprisings, the rebellions, the revolts, and the riots have been around uh, the use of this illegal X-ray or Stingray technology, which, of course, you can Google it and look it up in terms of Baltimore use of uh, Stingray technology. and really hasn't been any response from any elected official as to why the FBI and the Department of Justice would bring this technology to Baltimore and use this technology. There's been no hearings from the city council, no hearings from the Maryland House of Delegates, or even on the federal level, whether we're talking about Congressman Elijah Cummins, uh, Senator Barbara Mikulski, Senator Ben Cardin, or any of the other federal elected officials. It's almost as if that story never has been released. There's been no conversation about it. And due to that, uh, there's been many cases that they've had to throw out in many cases, they had to settle. Uh, and so what we're seeing now, as we've seen uh, in uh, Palestine, as we've seen in South Africa, uh, it's my belief that there are death squads, there are hit squads that are operating in Baltimore because many of these young brothers that are being shot and killed uh, were those who had cases around uh, that same time whose cases had to be thrown out or they had to dismiss the charges uh, outright. So there's a lot more to this than what we're being shown and what we're being told regarding the increase in homicides in Baltimore, not to mention, of course, uh, most of what we saw, 99.9% of what we saw uh, was basically orchestrated. Uh, We have the acts, we have the facts, we have the numbers, we have the stats regarding, again, FEMA running a lot of these operations, the Department of Defense running a lot of these operations that were going down uh, in Baltimore following the death of uh, Freddie Gray with agent provocateurs that were brought in, military intelligence that was brought in. And just as we saw in Memphis, Tennessee, following the death of Dr. King, that mm-hmm. before Dr. King was assassinated, the United States military, um, I think it was uh, 111, which was out of Fort Hollaberg, Maryland. They were in Memphis on March the 28th. I think the operation was called Operation Lantern Spike in which they were plotting to assassinate Dr. King. But they came into Memphis a week before Dr. King, and after they assassinated Dr. King, they stayed in Memphis a week after the assassination of Dr. King, up until April the 12th, to do what we call mop-up or clean-up, meaning anybody that saw anything that they weren't supposed to see, anybody that could really lay out those facts regarding what happened to Dr. King, they had to be neutralized, they had to be assassinated, or they were uh, swept up placed in mental institutions such as the, the white woman, Miss Grace Stevenson, who was swept up and put in a mental institute. Cab driver 58, his name escapes me, Mr. Clay, I believe was his name, who was also uh, thrown uh, off the off a bridge uh, in right. Memphis because that information couldn't get out regarding what happened around uh, the death of Dr. King and the subsequent cover-up 
regarding what happened to Dr. King. So uh, I hope that kind of gives light on what we've been seeing in Baltimore uh, because we've seen it take place in Ferguson where following the, the death of Michael Brown, following the verdict in terms of the grand jury and uh, the attorney out there or the state's attorney, uh, McCullough, giving mm-hmm. his report, uh, not during the daytime but at nighttime, and under the cover of darkness, we had, uh, I think his name was uh, DeAndre Joshua, who was killed the night of the riots in Ferguson, shot, and the car was lit on fire. And that same development where Michael Brown's grandmother lived, and then since then we've seen the death of, uh, I think two weeks later, Devin Gray, who was found under the bridge next to the river there. And since then we've had countless men and women that have mysteriously been killed uh, in Ferguson, uh, following what we've seen uh, with all of the uh, psyops and uh, everything else that has occurred there in Ferguson. And uh, no doubt it will happen in Cleveland. No doubt it has happened in New York following the death of uh, our brother there uh, in New York, Eric Garner, and uh, countless other places as well, brother. So it's much more to the eyes than what we're being told and shown. And that's why uh, black media and shows like this is important so that we can really get our people to, uh, in the words of Tupac Shakur, will be coming up, I think, uh, on uh, actually uh, his birthday, Tuesday. two days from now. We've got to peek the whole scene and whatever's going on around us. So we have to be able to see the bigger picture, Brother Ron. And I'm glad you brought up Tupac because he has a roots in Baltimore as well. You know, he went to school with Jada Pinkett Smith at the Baltimore School of mm-hmm. Performing Arts. And also why I bring him up, too, because you took me around where Freddie Gray was actually crucified, the, the start of his crucifixion. We went to the mural at the spot. Where he was yes. uh, basically, you know, he was, you know, basically dead before he got to the van. Basically, I mean, they did all the damage at that scene. Mm-hmm. And to see those young brothers, it was one brother that reminded me of Tupac. You know, I know you know. I'm telling you, he, he had kind of like a Tupac look and posture and spirit and energy. And these are the folks that our, our so-called president and mayor and all these so-called black folks that have made it. They will label these guys as the thugs and criminals. But these guys were so articulate, so passionate, and it was so on point. They mm-hmm. understood the school, the prison pipeline. I don't know what they do every day, but I'm just judging them by how they treated us. They treated us with respect. They welcomed us, but the question they had was, why the hell now? Why y'all so interested in what's going on with us now? But you look at what's going on, but Brother mm-hmm. Muhammad, you told me basically that they try to turn Baltimore into John Hawkinsville. They're forcing black folks out their homes. They're making black folks sick in their homes, getting them all type of illnesses. They do all type eminent domain. They laying out teachers. They're designing the powder keg mm-hmm. for this flow. They're creating a bone. Through the system. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, that's clearly what we're looking at right now. For those that's on the outside that don't know what's going on in Baltimore, uh, what we're looking at is gentrification or ethnic cleansing on uh, many levels and plenty mm-hmm. levels right now. And they're basically the powers that be. And when I say the powers that be, pretty much the business community that controls the mayors, the elected officials, uh, one group in particular called the Greater Baltimore Committee. It's been around here since 1955. And uh, they basically not elect the mayors, but they select who they want to be the mayors as not just the mayor, but in terms of uh, uh, those in uh, uh, positions such as state's attorney and other positions. They determine that uh, based on, again, fraternal relationships, based on uh, relationships belonging to uh, Sigma Pi Phi, the Boule, uh, belonging to perhaps uh, Freemason relationships as well. Um, and so this is what we see in Baltimore. But they've basically taken this city, which used to be a manufacturing uh, Rust Belt city for the most part, 
from Bethlehem Steel to Sparrows Point uh, to Domino Sugar to uh, also making of uh, auto parts. And they've taken this town and shut all of that industry down, as they've done with, with, with cities and towns around this country right now, but particularly Baltimore, which is uh, on the eastern seaboard and has probably one of the finest ports in the country, uh, so much so that at the turn of the century, during the time of Frederick Douglass, he would talk about many of the riots, many of the fights that would take place because blacks who were in unions weren't getting the positions, weren't getting the jobs. And these were jobs that you didn't have to have a college degree. You could just uh, have a high school diploma. Sometimes you didn't even have to high school, have a high school diploma, and you could go there and work mm-hmm. at these uh, manufacturing facilities and be able to make enough money to take care of a family of four or six. Uh, but you're looking at basically the deindustrialization of a city such as Baltimore and what they've done now, moved this city from becoming a, uh, a manufacturing town to turning into a service and tourism town. So all the money is confined to one or two areas, the Inner Harbor, which uh, basically is just a bunch of tourist attractions, and uh, so much so that they've taken federal dollars that are supposed to go into the neighborhoods and diverted the federal dollars, embezzled the federal dollars, outright stole the federal dollars, uh, particularly in the form of what's called community development block grant money. And this is with a black congressman, such as Congressman Elijah Cummins, sitting over this for years and watching this happen. This is with a black mayor, such as Mayor Kurt Smoke, sitting over this, watching this happen. This is with a black mayor, such as Sheila Dixon, sitting back watching this happen. This is what a black mayor and Stephanie Rollins Blake sitting back and allowing this to happen and actually being partners in crimes against our people. So what they've done essentially is given so much power to John Hopkins that John Hopkins has stretched their tentacles uh, from East Baltimore into West Baltimore. And Hopkins has gone all around the world in terms of their crimes uh, against our people. When you know the history of the man, John Hopkins, and they're, yeah. of course, uh, being involved uh, in the slave trade of our people, but also owning slaves. So that's how Hopkins made their money. But it's not only Hopkins, is now the University of Maryland Hospital in West Baltimore, and now the white universities are involved, such as the Maryland Institute of College of Arts, uh, Loyola University, Towson University, uh, the University of Baltimore, um, and maybe one or two more that I'm forgetting right now. But basically, they're taking this town and turning into uh, – Hopkinstown or Hopkins Moore, and then what Hopkins doesn't want, then the University of Maryland and the University of Maryland system, which of course was started by the Calvert family, some of the biggest slaves in the history of Maryland were the Calvert families. Most of the counties are named after the, the descendants of the Calvert family, who were Jesuits, of course, from England. And so you have to know that history of Baltimore because as it was yesterday, so it is today. And if there's not no revolutionary changes, in the city, then, of course, their plans is for this to be that way uh, in the future. And so we have to give that history because, of course, today is built on yesterday and tomorrow is built on today. Uh, so this is what we're seeing that's going on in Baltimore. John Hopkins is the number one recipient of federal dollars, so much so we refer to it as the welfare queen in Baltimore City because they receive more federal dollars for research and uh, for military research as well uh, than any other um, university in the country. I think second up probably is is uh, University of Pennsylvania, but that's wow. uh, that's John Hopkins and the enormous amount of money that they receive. And once they start uh, buying up property and buying land that the city has been giving them, they sold one school that I know of in, ba- in East Baltimore, as I showed you, Elman Henderson Elementary School. Mm-hmm. They gave it to John Hopkins for one dollar, and so they interrupted, as we saw in the movie Trading Places. They destroyed thousands of young children's lives and families in East Baltimore for John Hopkins for $1. And so take that story and those institutions like that and multiply it, because this is is what we've seen taking place in East Baltimore. And once that's done, 
because John Hopkins is considered a nonprofit. These hospitals are nonprofits. Some of them don't pay water bills. They don't pay electricity bills at a time when blacks, brown, red, yellow, and white see an increase in their electricity bill, see an increase in their water bill. Many of these corporations are not paying water bills. These colleges and, and hospitals don't pay water bills. And so that's what ends up happening. You end up putting it on the backs of the black majority citizens in Baltimore and, of course, poor people in the city of Baltimore to make up for these uh, institutions that they've given the property. And as I said, once they're given the property, they don't pay what's called a pilot payment in lieu of taxes. They don't pay a TIF, which is called tax income refinance. And so it's really reverse Robin Hood, where they're taken from the poor and the working class and the middle class and given to the filthy, greedy, greedy rich. And many of the politicians are afraid to even broach the subject about John Hopkins and these nonprofits even participating in and contributing and having to pay taxes or having to pay what's called a TIF or pilot. So this is what we're seeing taking place in Baltimore City, Brother Ron. So just thank you for that question, uh, because it may be taking place in Baltimore City, but when you look around the, the nation, this is what's happening in cities where blacks are a majority right now. They're using the same blueprint or the same white print in terms of how to ethnically cleanse the city of blacks from their cities and others that they would say are the useless eaters or the undesirables that they're using in the city of Baltimore. And another group and population that they're using is the LGBT community. Just got to put that out because once they come in and they're trying to get rid of your teachers, most of them are seasoned black veteran teachers. The group that they bring in are the young bureaucrats or they're bringing in the LGBT community. They're the ones that they'll bring in first in order to move many of the students, move many of the teachers out and the new thing now also is they're bringing in, as you're looking at this whole move with immigration, they're bringing in Filipino teachers. And they bring, and many of them can't even speak English. But they're bringing them in because they're a cheap labor pool. And they're bringing them in because this is what Wall Street has wanted. And Wall Street has, of course, uh, those who work with them intimately inside of Baltimore and cities as well around the nation, where they're bringing in the Filipinos as a cheaper form of labor, and they're replacing them replacing the, the, the seasoned uh, black teachers, many of them are black women, seasoned, seasoned older black women that they're getting rid of, and uh, then going back in and trying to, of course, uh, take their pension. So whatever they think they're going to have going out the door, they'll find out it's not there. And so Thornton, the new superintendent, was brought in to do that. The superintendent before him, uh, Andre Alonso, who came out of New York, that's what he did. They came in and gut, cut and then privatized many of the public schools and turned them into charter schools. But yet, those who would have charter schools wouldn't put up their own money. They're using public money in order to have what's called charter schools, brother. So, you know, uh, the best thing you can get for your dollars is a public school. It worked for us. It's only, it's only, again, that Wall Street saw that that was probably one of the last vestiges of democracy that they could get their hands on, which is, of course, public education. And so know that, don't get confused in whether it's a Democrat party, whether it's a Republican party agenda. This has been a Wall Street agenda to privatize education, so much so that Diane Ravitch, who was someone who used to work, I think, in the Reagan, Reagan administration or Bush administration, she wrote about this uh, in her book and called The Death of Education. And she talks about the Billionaire's Boys Club, which are made up of many of the foundations that come in and when they give the money, the money comes with strings attached. In Baltimore City, I have to say, before I come back to you, is one of the cities where many of the foundations and nonprofits moved into over the, probably since 1990 when Kirk Smoke became the mayor. The Open mm-hmm. Society Institute moved here. Andy Casey Foundation moved here out of Chicago, which is heavily tied to UPS. And several other large foundations have moved into Baltimore. And so when they give money, 
to the Baltimore City public school system, it comes with strings attached. When they give money to the Baltimore City government, it comes with strings attached. And so usually foundations are supposed to give money, but what happens is the city government ends up giving money to the foundations, and the money never trickles down to the people who need it the most, such as those in the community where Freddie Gray lived in Sandtown, Winchester. They basically took that money, and uh, we saw structural looting, structural rioting, structural swindling, and nobody ever went to jail. So they would rather try to say that the little man in the street is the one who's out there rioting and looting. We say, no, it's the white gorilla family up in the suites that nobody really wants to point the tail on. As Dr. Collis said, don't point the tail on the donkey, but point the tail and pin the tail on the honkies in terms of those that's been stealing and structurally stealing for years from our people without being indicted. And, and, and Rod Rosenstein, who's the U.S. attorney, he knows this, you know, and I brought his name up around Jonathan Luna, how they right. didn't, of course, pursue what happened to Jonathan Luna. So they could use the might of the federal government to go after some Hispanic police officers who were basically running a kickback tow truck scheme against many of their own people in which they would call and somebody got an accident. They called a certain tow truck company, tow truck company. They would tell them they got to use this tow truck company. The tow truck company would kick money back to these police officers. They use the federal government to go after about 20 to 30 of them, but yet they won't use the federal government to go after 20 to 30 of these criminal thugs that's in city hall or in Johns Hopkins that's been stealing money from my people for so many years, brother. Yeah, brother, I want to rewind it because you told the people so much information. You probably told people more information in about 15 minutes than they heard in about six months about what's really going down in B-more town or four or five months. And I want to rewind back to I want a couple of things I want to touch upon, but I want to go back recently to what you said about Jonathan Luna, who was a federal prosecutor mm-hmm. down in Baltimore yeah. who, who was killed. I mean, they... Back on December 4th, 2003, they discovered his body in a creek in Pennsylvania. They say he was stabbed 36 mm-hmm. times, had his neck split, and then he died from drowning in the creek. And the uh, FBI and some of the officials in Baltimore said it was a suicide. But the county coroner in Pennsylvania and the sheriff's department said it was a homicide. Can you tell us a little bit about that case? Because before we even get into Freddie Gray, we should look at this Judge Luna thing, the cover-up, as I call it. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I'm on a speakerphone. Can you hear me? Yeah, we'll hear you. We'll hear you. I'll make sure that, that uh, the reception is still good. Otherwise, I'll go back. Um, we lost Brother John for a minute. I see people who want to talk. Uh, just be patient. Uh, Brother Darren, his phone dropped, but we'll get him back on shortly. But I see people on the line. I'm glad everybody's tuning in. And if you want to get uh, get to help and stay as well, I want to let him un- uh, unpack some more stuff. So please be patient as we unpack some of this stuff that's going on and be more because he's a guy that's very thorough with the knowledge. It's not every day you get a brother like Brother Darren on the phone with you. I see Brother. Brother Darren, you there? Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right, cool. We had dropped you. Okay. No problem. No problem. Yeah. So we were talking about Jonathan Luna, like what's going on with that case? Like people didn't know about that case, I think. Yes, sir. Well, basically, for all essential purposes, the FBI, uh, who I think they they put out uh, maybe after a year or so of his case, a uh, $50,000 reward, and that case still remains open. Uh, that case has not been closed. But for those that may not know, Jonathan Luna was a 38-year-old uh, assistant U.S. attorney here in Baltimore, Maryland. He was working on a high-profile murder case of um, – two uh, uh, drug suspects, 
who were basically running drugs out of uh, Hamden, Baltimore, which is a predominantly white neighborhood. But they were running it out of, uh, I think, uh, 36th Street. And they also were, were, were using it to um, finance, I think, a record label that they had as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But nevertheless, the night before, they were supposed to make a plea deal. Uh, I think the young man's name was Warren Grace. And uh, Bill Keesman wrote about this in his book entitled The Midnight Ride of Jonathan Luna. It's on DVD as well as CD. But the mm-hmm. night before, Jonathan Luna was to be in court the next day. He mysteriously disappears uh, out of the federal building downtown. Now, mind you, that federal building has security. That federal building has manual security. The federal building has cameras. Uh, the federal building has sensors. Uh, John DeLuna apparently was uh, taken out of that building uh, in his silver Honda Accord, which is parked in the garage at the bottom of that building. Um, and to this day, no one has shown us pictures of John DeLuna getting in his car. Um, he was taken through three states, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, and of course, if you go through the toll roads, um, there are cameras and the toll roads, wherever you go. Uh, apparently, he was stabbed 36 times. His uh, scrotum was cut. His throat was cut from ear to ear, and he was shot and ultimately drowned in a quarry in Pennsylvania. Um, but to this day, the U.S. attorney at that time name was Tommy De- Thomas DeBaccio. He said they would leave no stone unturned to find out what happened in Jonathan Luna, who was a father of two, was married, his wife is an OBGYN uh, here in the Baltimore region. But uh, John, the, his boss, um, Tom DeBaccio, would then step down and uh, say that he was going to retire, and uh, that case remained open. No one was ever arrested. No one has ever been charged. None of the elected officials in Baltimore never opened their mouth up about it, whether we're talking about the federal officials or the local officials. And so, as I said to many employees here in Baltimore, that if they could do that to Jonathan Luna, then know that none of you are safe as well. Um, and that case still remains open regarding what happened to Jonathan Luna. And uh, his wife never believed, of course, that he committed any suicide. Right. There was uh, two or three individuals at the time, Gary Ball, who was the head of the FBI, there was also Mike Bouchard, who was the head of the, um, I think, ATF at the time. And uh, they were the ones that were successfully running the um, PSYOPs called the D.C. Sniper case at the time and feeding information to Charles Moose, who was down in Montgomery County. But to bring it back to Jonathan Luna, the news media tried to spin a story to say that Jonathan Luna was in a relationship. First, they said with a white woman, come to find out that that was false. Then they said he was in a relationship with uh, Jennifer Love Smith, who was a black FBI agent. Uh, her husband, who's a DEA agent, as I was told, went to the FBI and said, if you're going to bring pain to my family, then I'm going to have to bring pain to your family. And the mm-hmm. FBI recounted that story, that the dead never happened. So it was one of the mysteries in Baltimore. It's never been solved and resolved regarding what happened to Jonathan Luna. And so we believe that it was no more than an inside job, uh, perhaps a fight between the FBI and federal officials and that U.S. Attorney's Office and Jonathan Luna was uh, a uh, victim of that fight that was taking place. Now, what, it, what did come out of the case and came out in the book was that Warren Grace, who was one of the ones that uh, Jonathan Luna had this case against, they wanted Jonathan Luna to take a plea deal. And Luna said to the judge, and I think, I want to say the judge in the case 
was um, his name escapes me. It wasn't Judge Davis. It was another judge. But the judge wanted the Jonathan Luna to take a plea deal with this guy. And Jonathan Luna said, I can't accept the plea deal because this guy has a murder. He has a body on him. And so mm-hmm. this is, again, part of Baltimore, which has always been called Mob Town. Uh, the other lawyer, I think, that was on that case was supposed to have been Ken Ravenel. And as I shared with you, that after the death of Jonathan Luna, Ken Ravenel was moved up and eventually moved into private practice with the law firm of Billy Murphy, who's now the attorney for the Gray family. So there's never been any, there's been never no public comments from Ravenel regarding what happened to Jonathan Luna as well. Um, so again, uh, when we look at that, uh, it is all tied into the drugs. It was all tied into the money, which also, I think the money became, went missing. And no one could right. account for where the money went. I think it was $36,000 that was in went missing. And no one, mm-hmm. no one had ever accounted for what happened to that money uh, following the death of Jonathan Luna. And no one has ever been held accountable for the death of Jonathan Luna. So it just kind of, again, gives you the idea of uh, Baltimore, as I said before, of uh, being mob town. And uh, even black radio wouldn't talk about what happened to Jonathan Luna. White radio wouldn't really touch it, except on the surface with what they were being fed from basically the FBI, but never really doing any real investigative reporting uh, in terms of going up to Pennsylvania, talking to the coroner, as Bill Keesling did. And the coroner ruled the homicide, of course, a, a, a murder. Uh, and that coroner was, I think, uh, uh, then uh, removed from the case uh, regarding what happened to Jonathan Luna, but his disappearance was, was, was very similar uh, to another prosecutor in Pennsylvania. His name escapes me, but at the time, he was investigating uh, either the Jonathan Luna case or investigating what had happened with um, uh, Jerry uh, Sandusky and that whole case with Jerry Sandusky and the child pedophilia that was going on in and around um, Penn State at the time. And that prosecutor, the only thing they found was his laptop and uh, his car that went missing, I think, uh, in a river in Ohio. Uh, following that, but it was very similar to Jonathan Luna's case as well. His name escapes me right now. Oh, yeah. Um, Ray, but I can't think of his last name. Now, that, now that's a fascinating because people can do their research. They can look all this stuff up. That happened in 2003 with Jonathan Luna. But also, what is strange about that case, too, is that, like you said, they had security cameras at the federal building. Somebody stopped to get gas in Pennsylvania. And where the video of that? Right. Uh, ATM, they, you know, somebody got $200. Yeah. Out of his bank account at an ATM, and the counter and the counter wasn't right. working there either. So even on the on the toll right. booth and all this stuff, they have video cameras. So none of these cameras were working at the time that Jonathan Luna allegedly made this ride to Pennsylvania to kill himself. And like you said, the thirty six thousand well, I mean, came from the bank robbery trial. You know, he just missed the thirty six thousand. Mm-hmm. It was a bank robbery trial that he was involved in, and somehow the thirty six thousand came missing from that. So you think that the, the thirty six thousand was right. like symbolic of the thirty six thousand? Was that a message? Oh, 36, the, 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 the 36, the, the, the Stash House Records was the name of the record label, which was on 36th Street as well. So wow. was very prominent uh, in terms of what was going on. Uh, guy name was, I think it was, was, was Supreme Griff, was mm-hmm. one of the names I want to say, and Warren Grace. But Warren Grace was what's called a CI, a criminal informant. And right. Warren Grace had numerous run-ins with the law, and the Baltimore City Police Department was basically keeping him out on the street as bait and allowing him to go out and wreak havoc in Baltimore. And mm. he eventually, I think he killed someone in West Baltimore. And so Baltimore has a history of other cities, but this city in particular, as I've been sharing with you in terms of how the feds work and how the local police, the state police work, when they make arrests on these young brothers, 
rather than take these young brothers to central booking, they're taking a lot of these young brothers to the police stations, and there what they're doing is they're flipping them and turning them into CIs, what we call criminal informants or rats. I was in the DVD called Stop Snitching that many people say was very Baltimore was very famous for. I wasn't in Stop mm-hmm. Snitching 1, but I was in Stop Snitching 2, in which the brother said, Brother Muhammad, all we're trying to do is get out, get out to our people in the public. And we're not talking about the ordinary citizen that sees crime and wants to report the crime to the police. We're not talking right. about grandma or grandpa who lives in the community. We're we, we, we against crime. They said, we're against crime. They said, this is what we're talking about is brothers who get in the game. And they do the harm, and they do the crime, and they do the grime. But when right. they get caught, when they get caught, when they get arrested, when they mm-hmm. find a man up and do your time, then what happens is the police will take them and flip them. The federal government will flip them. The state government will flip them. And then they say, well, we'll, we'll lessen your time if you rat on somebody else. And so this is what the brother said we're talking about. And so they did a part two, right. uh, Hidden Colors. And we actually, I mean, not Hidden Colors, but uh, Stop Snitching. And we actually shot it in the radio station where I was doing my show at the time. And the mm. brother called me and said, well, Brother Muhammad, uh, can I use part of this and stop stitching too? And I said, use as much as you want. And he put about 60% of that interview into the stop snitching DVD. Wow. And so many young brothers in the street came to know me. They knew me then, but even more of them knew me from the information we put in stop snitching too. And which we were talking about, some of the information we're talking about now in terms of who the real gangsters are. We talked about how these brothers were unconventional, what we call think outside the box, or as Taco Bell said, think outside the bun. But these were brothers that John Hopkins would take these brothers with these kind of beautiful minds and give them money to create cures to certain diseases or create an app or create something because they were so creative with what these brothers would do. So, you know, what, what we saw was that we said, let's take an example, Kwaisi Mfume, who was a former congressman in Maryland, but Kwaisi Mfume Many people don't know, but he was a drug dealer on Pennsylvania Avenue. So if you can take someone like Kwasi and Fume, and he can flip, and Kwasi and Fume uh, had to do basically survive, so he chose to go to the street and sell drugs. Even Sheila Dixon, a former mayor, was one of the girls that was working for him. So if you wow. give them a second chance and allow them to clean their lives up, we were saying, why not allow these young brothers to clean their lives up as well? Who knows what greatness will come from these young brothers, as you found out when you came here to Baltimore, listening to those young brothers. And that's yeah. what we were saying. So we said we need to do more than just one stop snitching, stop snitching. We need to do many stop snitching because also in the DVD, the brothers were talking about the corrupt police officers. We were naming the names. So it right. showed that in the first one, there was two officers, one named King and one named Mary, who they were talking about were taking money from drug dealers. And so they got popped, and the feds popped them and gave these two officers federal time. And so those brothers said, we need to do more because we can help the city clean up the city by naming the names of the corrupt elected officials and naming the names of the corrupt uh, police officers. And, of course, subsequently, those brothers were arrested uh, in terms of going after them some tr- on trumped-up charges, uh, just getting them off the street so that them brothers wouldn't have an opportunity to continue to share that information uh, that they were sharing with the public. And then somebody giving them access to the airways, as I did, uh, to be able to share that information and to give clarity to the people so they could make it plain to say, no, we're not talking about the ordinary citizen. We're talking about the brothers that's in the game. But I wanted to share that because that was tied heavily into the case of Jonathan Luna in terms of Warren Grace being a criminal informant. And one of the officers that they talked about, I think, was John Skinner, who uh, Warren Grace was working for. And Skinner is the relative of one of the, the Greek syndicate members here in Baltimore by the name of John Paterakis, who owns H&S Bakery. He supplies all the bread to all the McDonald's up and down the eastern seaboard to yeah. show you how deep John Paterakis' power is. And 
He's the one of the beneficiaries from the Kiss and the Pilots in Baltimore. So much so that it's made most so much money off of Harbor West that he owns now what's called Harbor East, as I took you to and showed mm-hmm. you Harbor East. All that is basically John Patarakis's land that Kirk Smoke gave to him. First, William Donald Schaefer gave it to him, and then Kirk Smoke gave what Schaefer didn't give to him. Kirk Smoke gave the rest of it to him uh, there in downtown Baltimore. Um, and the people knew nothing about this. So much so, as I said before, uh, they've basically devastated uh, many of the communities in Baltimore by putting money and putting uh, resources into just smaller areas of downtown Baltimore. And it's been an ongoing fight, even between the white mobsters, regarding putting money into Harbor East and not putting money into Harbor West as they did before. Wow. So this guy sounds like he's the character that the Greek was based on in the wire. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean it's crazy, man. I mean, I look, yeah, well, you showed me, I mean, you should have been a, a person they should have consulted on the wire because what you showed me, like you said, it was a mob town. I had no idea that Baltimore yeah. rolled that dirty, man. I, I think about, well, I think about mob towns. I'm thinking about Chicago, Detroit. I think about Baltimore got in New Orleans and places like that. But Baltimore got their own thing, man, because what blows my mind, like you said about John Hopkins, when you told me I laugh about it, but you said nobody ever, ever quote John Hopkins. Nobody. They think about what they right. did, or they do at John Hopkins. Like, here at Alex, their sister who had a DNA taken from her body by her consent. Mm-hmm. And they made all that money off her DNA, yet her folks are still impoverished in Baltimore and don't even have health insurance. Or the fact that John Hopkins gave us Woodrow Wilson, who did a number on black folks. I mean, black folks voted for Woodrow Wilson like he was the next Lincoln. I mean, you had black leaders say he voted for Woodrow Wilson. And he came out of John Hopkins, and he, he basically resegregated D.C., and he endorsed the birth of a nation almost 100 years ago. So, you know, John, what, what kind of character is this John Hopkins guy? You're like a short little biographical sketch. I know you touched yeah. upon it earlier. Yeah, I did a I did a, a presentation a few years ago with Brother David Johnson in which we talked about John Hopkins' uh, global uh, genocide toward Africans. And John Hopkins and his family – uh, owned many slaves in uh, Anne Arundel County, which is right outside of Baltimore. They had what's called the Hopkins Plantation. And uh, they also sold whiskey called Hopkins Best Whiskey. Uh, he was so wicked that, you know, of course, at, at the turn of the century and during what some call colonial times and during our enslavement, uh, the Blue Blood families would want to marry within their families. And a lot of their hospitals had to be established so that they could create an environment in which to put the children that they were fathering because the children would be born with all types of deformities because they were inbreeding, uh, for lack of a better word, in terms of what we saw. The DuPonts were famous for that. But many of the Blue Blood families were famous for that. But John Hopkins wanted to marry his first cousin, and the family forbid it. So he's, him and the first cousin, whose name was Elizabeth, said they would never get married if they couldn't marry each other. So he basically um, uh, uh, whiffed that, uh, sworn that they would never get married, but he, he, of course, um, are you still there? Yeah, we are. Yes, sir. Further on? I'm here. You hear me? So, so yeah. basically, he owned a lot of land in Baltimore, and there's an area. I don't think I took you past that area. It's called Lake Clifton, and Lake Clifton used to be his summer plantation. He was he would always be in Anne Arundel County, of course, during the winter, but they would come to what's called Lake Clifton. Lake Clifton is one of the historical high schools in Baltimore, but it's a, it's a, uh, a golf course. And uh, there is where he had his uh, summer home and summer plantation. And while the community around Lake Clifton has been going down and has been dying for years, they just put five to seven million dollars into refurbishing the mansion of John Hopkins. And so, wow. you know, he's never quoted 
because he never, he was an ignorant white man. He was never quoted. Some try to say he was a Quaker, but he wasn't a Quaker. That's an outright lie. But, you know, they'll try to clean his image up. But if you ever go into John Hopkins on what's called Harriet Lane, which is the side that blacks had to go in, where Henrietta Lacks had to go to, and you could take the story of Henrietta Lacks and multiply it by tens of thousands in terms of the experiments that they carried out against black people and, and other black women and other black men whose DNA may have been used and genes have been used to create cures and to make John Hopkins millions and billions and trillions of dollars, and they've never given a dime to just Henrietta Lacks family. So we can take that and multiply it. Uh, John Hopkins made so much money that they started another institution called Kennedy Krieger. They went around the world sterilizing black women. You saw the case in Guatemala, but this happened not just in Guatemala. I mean, they ran a program called Japigo International, which they were going around the world that tied into Henry Kissinger's uh, uh, um, National Security Memorandum 200 and Global 2000 report, in which they talked about depopulating 13 nations uh, around the world. But not just those 13 nations around the world. We got to look at ourselves as a nation and know that what they want to do around the world, they want to do right within the confines of America. Look at how to depopulate black folks in America as well. So all of that comes out of John Hopkins in terms of wow. what, what, they, what they've done. Uh, in terms of the experiment on black children with uh, lead paint poisoning, that's another issue that's not talked about because Freddie Gray was a victim of lead paint poisoning. And Baltimore City has one of the highest uh, numbers of young children who are uh, victims of lead paint poisoning. So Hopkins has been very, and they would put children in homes intensely knowing that they had high levels of lead so that they could wait to see how long it would take before the lead would affect their behavior. And then they would give their the mothers and promise them a stipend, promise them a check rather than be brought to court and charged. In fact, one of the judges referred to it as Auschwitz. He said this was worse than Auschwitz, Germany, in terms of what wow. John Hopkins and Kennedy Krieger were doing with black children in Baltimore. So this has been their dirty little secret in their dirty history uh, in terms of what John Hopkins has done uh, to blacks for the most part in Baltimore City. This is a petri dish for John Hopkins in terms of uh, the conditions of poor blacks in Baltimore being similar to poor blacks in some third world countries in Africa or Asia or South America. John Hopkins has been uh, criminal in their behavior, so much so that the man, John Hopkins, when he died, he left money for a school in Anne Arundel County uh, it's called the uh, Sheltenham School for Boys, so that he could always have a place where he could go either to experiment on little boys or to carry out his sexual abuse behaviors on little boys. Wow. But it's called Sheltenham School for Colored Boys is what it was. So this is, this is John Hopkins. And so when you go in that building on Harriet Lane, there's a, there's a picture of John Hopkins, a mural. And on the mural, I was shocked to see that they even had on the mural that he was a slave owner. They must have forgot this part, you know. <laughs> right. I couldn't believe they even put it down there, but it's right on the wall when you go in. But you never hear anybody quote uh, John Hopkins. And, of course, uh, the medical school was established by Halstead, Osler, and um, there was one more uh, whose name escapes me. It's Halstead, Osler, I want to say Kelly. And, of course, you know the history of William Welch. Welch was one of the ones that, of course, uh, 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 was uh, one of those, as we talked about, as I heard you mention uh, before on one of your shows talking about Booker T. Washington. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, no, wow. Hopkins has some dirty secrets, I think, that we really have to tell the true story of uh, John Hopkins uh, and what they've done uh, in the city of Baltimore, but not just in Baltimore, but globally in, t- in terms of what Hopkins uh, has done and continues to do. And you saw the story recently that came out regarding uh, Dr. Nikita Levy, and uh, when black women in one of their clinics that they run were going in and how he actually was uh, videotaping the women 
uh, as he mm-hmm. was supposed to be examining them. And they killed him and said he committed suicide because I believe that that story would have spread to other doctors as well. Uh, and they put, put basically tried to kill it so it wouldn't spread, so the people would try to find out what really was going on. And th- that case, I believe, is in court now with a multi-class action lawsuit where they're selling for like $190 million. And wow. that's only because the majority of victims are black women. You know that if they were white women, that one white woman would have got $190 million. But there so were over 100 or so black women. So basically, John Hopkins did worse than what they accused Bill Cosby of actually doing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that and multiply. Yeah. Hey, multiply. Wow. Multiply, as I said. He was videotaping it, but nobody has said, well, where did the videotapes go? Who did he send them to? They all weren't at his home. So, wow. you know, he was videotaping these women. And the question was, for how long has he been videotaping these women? You know, for how many months? How many months? He was a black doctor, right? It's been going on. He was an African American. Okay. What about Dr. Ben Carson, man? Can you tell us, like, what's the enigma? Wait. I'm sorry. Hey, uh, what's the thing about Dr. Ben Carson? Like, who? I mean, what is he, man? I, I, it's kind of confusing what this image we see now in the media that he's portraying versus the narrative that's been supported for years about him being this brilliant doctor from the project in Detroit, whatever. Who is this guy? I mean, he's John Hopkins too, right? Who is? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's from John Hopkins. He's a boy. And with everything that I've been telling you that's been going on at John Hopkins, there's never been one. Uh, there's never been one. What's, what's the word I'm looking for? There's never been one um, uh, article. There's been never. There's never. There's never been a moment of any stories about him standing up against what Hopkins was doing to black people in Baltimore. So if he wouldn't stand for us then, I find it hard to believe he would stand for us now. You know, the only thing right. that he did do was, of course, uh, the Carson uh, scholarships that he gives out annually. But all that's tax write-offs. And of course, uh, there's the the the, the belief that he did a lot of those surgeries by himself, but nothing could be further from the truth. Those surgeries were done with many members of the team. Uh, and as uh, Dick Gregory has often said, if he did do all those surgeries, how come nobody has ever recommended him for a Nobel Peace Prize? So, yeah, uh, that was, wow. and, uh, yeah he's never been, he's never received, or even been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize uh, for these surgeries, which he was supposed to have been famous for in terms of being a neurosurgeon. Um, so, again, I think we got to look at those that they tried to basically raise up and make heroes to us and then sell them to us in terms of really asking some serious questions about uh, Ben Carson. But I think that this is the other thing that goes into why many of these white hospitals and why many of the white uh, politicians and many of the white uh, elite globalist families have worked to destroy black hospitals in this country, and particularly in Baltimore City, so that blacks could then be subjects of theirs at infinitum. And so we used to have a black hospital here called Providence Hospital. You go right next door to Washington, D.C., they at least got four or five black hospitals. And so this is what we're seeing in terms of, again, uh, the destruction of our uh, infrastructure of our nation, because you've got to have black doctors, black nurses, blacks in all the paraprofessional positions that we have to have in order to take care of the health of our people. And many of these others that are that are whites and others that they're bringing in are not sensitive to our needs. They're not culturally sensitive or sensitive to our people in any other way, shape, and form. And But that was all by design. Once you get rid of the black hospitals, then our people will be subjects in other people's hands. And so when people talk about 100 murders in Baltimore City in one month, they're only talking about murders in the streets. They're not even talking about how many of us are being killed in the streets by the, wow. by the, uh, the white butchers and the white lab cooks. So when you get groups like Black Lives Matter talking about Black Lives Matter, well, we say, well, how come you're not down in front of the abortion clinics? 
more black babies are killed in abortion clinics. Black male babies are killed in abortion clinics in the streets than being killed in the streets, right? Right. When you do, when you do. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that, though. Like, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about that. No, no, no. It's only Black Lives Matter when they say it's the police officer that killed the black life. You know? Right. But as I said, more of us are dying in the suites than dying in the streets. You know? More of us dying in the hospitals. You know, when people just go in for, for, for general surgery and end up dying. Or they go in because they got uh, pneumonia. Or they go in because they got something else and they never make it out of the hospital. And John Hopkins and these other hospitals are just expanding. So they're not expanding because the people are healthy. They're expanding because they're keeping the people sick, you know? Right. So, and I always tell people, remember, the doctors don't get paid for what they know. They get paid off of what you don't know. <laughs> That's it. Right. Many of our people, unfortunately, because of racism and white supremacy, they give a lot of their power to the doctors, and they think their doctors are, are their gods, more so than their doctors, you know? That's right. So, now, there was a brother. You know, in terms of. Go ahead. I'm sorry, brother Muhammad. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm continuing. I, I, no, I, I think we just have to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, because I want to touch upon it, too, before we go, because I know I remember saw a movie about a black doctor. He didn't get his uh, medical degree the traditional way, but he actually worked at John Hopkins, right? Most desperate trained, I forgot his name, but he was actually doing the, the uh, heart uh, surgery. Uh, Dr. Vivian Thomas. Yeah, Vivian. Uh, Vivian uh, yeah. Thomas, who taught, yeah. he taught uh, Dr. Blaylock everything Blaylock knew in terms of uh, right. doing surgery on uh, what they call blue babies. But uh, when yeah. you go there... They had a school here in Baltimore named after me. It was an academy, not a school, but an academy, a charter school. But anyway, if you go to John Hopkins and you go over to the Blaylock unit on the first floor, his picture is there, but if you don't look for it, you wouldn't find it. They put it off in the corner. Mm. <laughs> so like when you wow. get to the unit, it's in the back, so you don't see the picture of Dr. Vivian Thomas. So we just need more of our people to do our true history of uh, many of our great black heroes and sheroes uh, that oftentimes many of these white uh, hospitals and white institutions because of racism and white supremacy want to write them out of history, or if they can, they'll try to white them, white them into history in terms of saying, oh, they weren't black, they was white. <laughs> and we have to be mindful of that, because they will do that. And then I should be grateful for people like you doing that work, man. you putting in the work to, to bring these facts and figures known to our people. We got to set up a place, like, we got to really start taking this stuff seriously, because I had talked to some young people this past week, uh, ages 8 to 16, and we had an assignment for them. We said, you know, bring us a news story. Look at the news uh, at night and bring us a story back to us from the news. And every single story was a negative story. Every single story, you know, somebody come out, a woman getting burned up in the classroom and died that way. Somebody got a story saying that a four-year-old kid killed himself with his father's gun by accident. Every single story was, ne- it was negative. And I told the kids, how can you trust uh, uh, everything being, I mean, like, even when we talk about movies, right, but they say it's based on a true story, they might have that person's name correct, but everything else is a damn lie. They might have the name correct of the person, they can have one, and they can say it's based, I said, what we got to understand is, our kids got to understand the trickology out here, and, like, what Brother Malcolm told us how powerful the media is in terms of the pro our perception and influence the way we view things, because what's going on right mm-hmm. now, I look at the, the Texas McKinney thing, the pool party thing, one of the parents actually said they didn't know what went on with their kids until they went on their Facebook timeline. They had to go on Facebook to find out what happened to their kids because their kids think that was normal for them to be treated like that. So where did they get that idea about black folks getting treated like that? No, they look at the media. They look at the movies. They look at how their parents respond and act and don't act. So I think it's very important to support the work that you're doing 
And I want to just go a little bit back because you got too much information. We're going to have you on again. We got to support people like you. Uh, to stop snitching DVDs. The first time I heard about that was when Carmelo Anthony got in trouble for appearing in one of those DVDs because he's from Baltimore. But I want to touch upon this story, man. I never forgot this story about this sister who was not involved in the drug trade. She did the right thing. She reported the drug dealers and all these people to the police. And then, from my understanding, the drug dealers set her house on fire. They, they, they locked her and her kids inside the home, and only one person survived. She was really burnt. So tell, tell us a little bit about that case. I'm like, why, you know, I mean, she wasn't involved in all that, and she got killed. And her family got killed. Right. Her name, yeah, her name was uh, Angela Dawson. God bless her soul and her family. Mm-hmm. Uh, her husband's name was Cornell, uh, Cornell uh, Dawson. And I, the names of the children escapes me, but she had two twin boys. And, uh, of course, uh, I think the only one that survived uh, was the daughter. Right. And um, what happened was um, Angela Dawson, they lived on, I think it was Eden Street and uh, Preston Street. And uh, basically, of course, Baltimore, uh, doing, as you talked about, of course, the height of the wire, but uh, uh, doing the height in terms of the 90s and 2000s because of the, uh, inf- the uh, basically influctuation of uh, drugs into our community. And in that community, um, she obviously didn't have the money, I guess, to move out of the community. But what happened was you had Mayor Martin O'Malley. Who was mm-hmm. uh, Mayor Garcetti, I believe, in, in The Wire. I never right, read exactly. The Wire. We, yeah, we always right. demonstrated The Wire. I always confronted uh, the uh, producer of The Wire, David Simon. They had a, mm-hmm. they had a wire viewing at one of the uh, theaters, and we protested outside. We confronted him. And I said, if you did to the Jewish community, because he is Jewish, and I said mm-hmm. to him in front of his mother, if you did this to the Jewish, if you exploited the Jewish community's pain for your financial gain, you'd be floating in the harbor somewhere around here. I said, wow. yeah, you're exploiting black folks for your financial gain. I said, you're mm-hmm. not taking any of that money and donating to any of the schools, to any of the recs, to any of the black organizations. You're only taking that to exploit it to further promote yourself. And he caused, you know, Harry to get into his limousine because he, you know, he, <laughs> he wasn't used to black folks confronting him like that. The limousine liberals, they call it white. Yeah, yeah. But, but nevertheless, what happened was Martin O'Malley came up with a program called Believe, and the program was financed by MT Bank Stadium. And we talk about the monsters. See, these are the real gangsters. They brought in these banks. These banks' jobs were to be no more than conduits or to be places that they could launder their drugs or they could launder their money. MT mm-hmm. Bank came down from New York for Martin O'Malley, and that's been his bank. Now, he asked blacks to get involved and to believe, and if you see drug dealing, then they were supposed to call the police. Police was able to come out and to deal with the drug dealers and solve that uh, and to help to protect the family. So O'Malley was as was the was the mayor, Commissioner Norris, who was in the wire doing cameo appearances, and mm-hmm. at the same time, Stephanie Rollins, who was on the city council, Sheila Dixon was on the city council, and countless others, even women in the news media. This is how corrupt they were. They were going up to New York on trips, having orgies in hotels while black people were in the cities fighting for their lives. And this, I mean, wow. this is fact information that came out. So, Angela Dawson had reported on uh, some drug dealers in her community. So, this was on October the 3rd. Some drug dealers apparently threw a Molotov cocktail, which is, of course, just the liquor and the cloth, yeah. and into the front door, into the, into the back door of the house, okay? On October the 3rd, fire, fire comes out. They put out the fire. They extinguished the blaze. They board up the back door, so the family couldn't get out of the back door. Now, the city zoning laws, which mean that the politicians, which mean the fire marshal would have had to look at the house 
and say that this house is not safe for that family to live in because if they had another fire, the only door and exit for them to get out of would have been the front door. See, the fire marshals failed that family. They left that family in that home. And that's one of the stories that's not been talked about. The news media hasn't talked about it. I confronted the city council person for that district and said, why are you not bringing that information out? Why did the firefighters or the fire marshal leave that family in that home? They could have condemned the home and said to the landlord, you got to fix this up. The family can't stay there. Then the Red Cross could have moved them into another house rather than leave them in that home. They left them in that home. So this young man who they said was the one that did it, uh, Darrell Brooks, uh, in question, we got to ask, was he working for the police? Was he one Mm -hmm. of the criminal informants? Because if you would have thrown a Molotov cocktail through a white woman's home, you wouldn't have gotten bailed and been back out. You understand? They do it. They come back and do it two weeks later. So now, two weeks later, this young brother apparently is paid by some other drug dealers. Uh, as I talked to some brothers who said he was high off some e pills, and he talked about how many e pills he took because he had to put himself into the mindset, right, to go in there mm-hmm. and do that. I talked to the young lady who took him to the gas station to get the to get the gas and put it in the jar. And she wow. never got charged. Wow. So he goes back two weeks later, and he throws the the Molotov cocktail. I think it was two of them into the house. But this time it's at the front entrance, and the, so the the back entrance is boarded up. The family doesn't have a fire escape. See, in Baltimore City, if you have a home that's and I said to the to the, the council person, you have to get this law changed. Otherwise, the Dawson family tragedy could happen again. They had a family that lived in a three story home with no fire escape. So you gotta have a fire escape. So they didn't have a fire escape to get out. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 Molotov cocktail is thrown through the front door, and the family can't get out. And the fire consumes the family. The father mm-hmm. jumps out of the window. Uh, he doesn't die immediately, but he's severely burned. Uh, the funeral was held for Angela Dawson and her four children, and um, they of course die. And Carnell Dawson died the day of the funeral. Well, most of what yeah. happened has never been told, except for to just say it was Darrell Brooks, but never looking at the city's part and how they failed that family. And, of course, many other politicians came out. Uh, I, was, I, I had just moved back to Baltimore from Delaware at that time. And mm-hmm. uh, what happened was they had a big to-do rally outside, adjacent to where it happened. They said that this would happen, never happen again. But we've had at least two or three other cases similar to Angela Dawson family where family members, multiple family members, or three or more have died in a home. And uh, the word on the street is that these were similar cases to Angela Dawson. But they could never allow this information to come out because it would be indictments on city officials again. But the city, let me remind you that the city, her family, and I talked to Cornell Dawson's sister. She lived out in Glen Burnie. I went to see her uh, during the year of the anniversary. Uh, and the family was suing the city of Baltimore. You know, the city of Baltimore wouldn't give them a dime for what happened. You wow. know, the, the, lonely, the, lone, the lone child who remained was homeless at one point. The city wow. wouldn't take care of her daughter. Jesus. So this, is, this has been the problem in Baltimore City. But had that been a white family, then you better know that the city would have moved that family out of that home and not allowed them to stay in that home after the first fire. So the city, Martin O'Malley as the mayor, failed them. Sheila Dixon as the city council president failed them. Many of the delegates and senators and the congressmen, Elijah Cummins, they failed the Dawson family. And the only thing they did with that home was they tore it down so that you wouldn't have any, uh, not just a reminder, but look at the physical evidence of the house and how the city failed to get them out of that house. They made it some kind of children safe as own home. But other than that, the city never did anything to lift a finger to help that Dawson family.
Did Darrell Brooks spend time in jail at all, or he, he never got put in jail? I'm sorry? Darrell Brooks, did he spend time in jail for the crime? or He's still in jail, to my knowledge, yeah. yeah. He was sentenced in his federal time. He took a plea deal. I think he was sentenced to maybe 60 years in prison. Wow. So he's, he's still uh, in jail. But, wow. Uh, the, I'm, yeah, he's still in jail. But I think that story needs to be told. But I think the story needs to be told on all layers. And look at all the players uh, right. that failed the Dawson family. Uh, and again, as I said before, um, uh, they were doing what the city told them to do. And that was one of the p- components of them suing the city. They said, y'all told us to believe. Y'all told us to participate and sign up to be a part of the Mayor's Believe program, which they said they wanted to clean up the city of drug dealing. But most of the people, unbeknownst to the people, didn't realize a lot of them brothers is in the street selling drugs. They're working for the mayor. They're working for the state's attorney's office. <laughs> they history of the state's attorney's assistant state's attorney's office selling drugs. So when you know who they're really working for, then you have to know that they're not the ones you're fighting against. The people you're fighting against are the people downtown that bring the drugs into the city and into the country and then give it to these young brothers to sell on the corner. I mean, if they worked at McDonald's, these brothers would just be working shakes and fries. They're not the manager. They don't own no franchises. So the people that they're really working for are the whites in high places and high spaces, and and even some black uh, uh, middle or bourgeoisies that they're working for as well, brother. I mean, that's a fact, and all that has come out. And this is why it's so important to have this type of conversation. This is why it's so important that we got to fight for our voices to be heard because you are a voice in the wilderness of things, but there are other voices out there in their own respective wilderness. But the thing about it is that I want to talk about, because you said the Dawson family, if they actually investigated, the whole damn system is guilty, just like with Judge and Luna. Because my understanding, I researched them a little bit, that you actually, they talk about Whitey Bulger up in Boston, you actually have FBI guys till they see on. It was my understanding. I don't know I, what I read about the Baltimore situation. What? They were actually killing their CIs. Whitey Bulger? Well, they talk about uh, while we're wrestling, Whitey Bulger up in Boston. But they're doing the same thing in Baltimore. Right. They working with these CIs. They kill them. The FBI actually kill their own CIs. That's why I heard it read right. online. Yes, sir. Is that true? Right. That's no, what it is. That's very true in terms of in terms of the FBI and local police as well. I mean, we've had a history of police kidnapping young brothers. A lot of times they're not kidnapping them to kill them. They kidnap them to take them either to the station or they take them out into Howard County, the surrounding area, give them the information that they want them to have, then bring them back into the city. And so, you know, they bring them back into the city and they use them as bait to put them back out on the street. And as we saw in the movie Bait with Jamie Foxx, they basically kill those young brothers' fake when they no longer need them or because they have somebody else now that they can use that these young brothers are killed. And uh, we had a young brother who was in the mosque in the Nation of Islam. I don't know how long he was outside of the Nation of Islam. His name was Andre X. Hunt. And uh, this young brother, uh, two days after the Freddie Gray Freno, but take his story and multiply, this young brother was arrested uh, for moving drugs. They raided his home and his cousin's home. Uh, he was working and moving his drugs in the Gilmore Home Project where uh, Freddie Gray and countless other young brothers were three blocks from the Western District Police Station. When this young brother was was arrested back in 2013, uh, they said they recovered over $454,000 uh, in his cousin's home. Wow. They said they had a stash house uh, in Reservoir Hill. Uh, right where a lot of this kicked off at around the uprisings of Freddie Gray. The young brother went to court in 2014, along with some of these other crew, and uh, he took a plea deal, and uh, he was given three years, while everybody else around him got 11 years or 13 years. So what does that tell you? I mean, they flipped this young brother and made right. him a criminal informant or made him a rat. And if they didn't, then why would they give him three years and everybody else 13 years? 
And so they oh, said yeah. that he was working with the NAACP. And I remind you that right after that, they raided the Baltimore city chapter of the NAACP's office because the president, Chester Hill Ashton, her son was selling heroin out of the office of the NAACP. And you can't get nobody to talk about that story, brother. This, this was less than two months ago, the day of Freddie Gray's funeral. So this young brother was given three years. Everybody else in his crew was given 11 to 13 years. He was supposed to start serving his time. Uh, he should have gone in immediately. But they put him back out on the street as bait. And so they kept pushing his time back. And he was supposed to start serving his time on May the 17th, two weeks before he was supposed to start serving his time. He's in his barbershop. This is broad daylight adjacent mm-hmm. to the Nation of Islam's mosque. Somebody mm-hmm. calls him outside. They shoot, they shoot and kill him 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Broad daylight. Wow. Rush hour, right? I mean, like, that's fantastic. And, 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 yes. And nobody you could be by the spot. You could be by the spot, right. You could be by that spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why would they As leave a, this young brother on the street? If they wow. gave him three years, he should have went to jail immediately. But they only put him out on the street as bait. Now, take that Take that case is what I'm saying. Take that young brother and multiply it by the hundreds or the thousands in Baltimore City. This is what's been going on. So when you hear about these shootings and killings that's going on, there are those who have been working with the police or working for the police, working for the feds and with the feds, that they're now coming back and either paying somebody to kill them or they themselves are killing them. In terms of many of these shootings, there have been headshots to the head, and there's no description of any suspects. There's no pictures of any suspects at all. But what we've seen over the last uh, couple of days is they basically have been rounding up some members of the Bloods and rounding up members of the Black Gorilla family. And, and they're usually uh, some type of alleged charges. There's nothing concrete. They're not dotting any I's and crossing any T's for the most part. So them brothers eventually will be let out uh, because they have to do this because the people are saying, and, and, and an outcry, what are you doing? Because we've seen more shootings and more homicides uh, since the death of Freddie Gray and since the uprisings now than ever before. But right. that can play into the bigger picture for what they ultimately want to do, which is basically become more suppressive with their tactics, not just toward the quote-unquote uh, criminal element in the black community, but toward uh, the masses of our people as well, Devin. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm saying, people probably, it's blowing people's minds right now. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, this is so crazy. I mean, like, you could have so much ground, you know, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, We've had police officers. We've had police officers that's been arrested, man, for selling drugs out of the parking lot of the police department. I mean, this is within the past year, and they only confined it to that one officer, but didn't know that this rabbit hole runs deep, man. They were mm. listening to his calls, and only because they heard him say he had to go and kill somebody that they moved in to make the arrest. I think his name was Officer Red or Officer Brown. But this has been ongoing, man. And and those and those are the black officers. The, the black officers, that is on a low level compared to what the white officers are doing right. for the most part. And we've had the state's attorney's office when Kirk Smoke, I can give you the history, when Kirk Smoke was the mayor, he, and he came out of the state's attorney's office. Most of the mayors of Buffalo City were state's attorneys. So this is why people are saying perhaps they want to move Marilyn Mosby and elevate her to become the mayor. Right. But when Kirk right. Smoke was the mayor, he had, a, he had an assistant state's attorney by the name of Georgia Gosley who was selling drugs out of state's attorney's office. I have the letter that Kurt Smoke and Stu Sims, who became the state's attorney after Kurt Smoke, uh, wrote to the Baltimore City Police Department telling the Baltimore City Police Department that they could not raid Georgia Gosley, one of their assistant state's attorney's condo, because they, she was working for them. You understand? Wow. They moved her out of town to get her out of town until the heat went down. 
I was gonna take this story and multiply. They took a brother who she was dating, uh, 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 named Arnold Mitchell, and one of the corrupt judges. See, we talk about how deep it goes. It goes up to the judges, man. The federal mm-hmm. judges, the state judges. One of the judges' name was Hammerman. He told a Jewish guy if he would prosecute the case of Arnold Mitchell, that when they made Kirk Smoke the mayor, and he was gonna make this Jewish guy, his name was uh, Levine, that they was gonna make him the next state's attorney. Of course, the Jewish guy believed that. He took the case, prosecuted Brother Arnold Mitchell. Arnold Mitchell got eight years in prison. Now, the guy never got the position of state's attorney. He was so angry, he left the state's attorney's office and went back in private practice. But he kept the files for all those years, and he saw Arnold Mitchell at the Jewish community center uh, teaching karate one day. He goes to his car and gets the files and brings him the files and gave him the files. He gives me the files, and I kept the files to read to show the people that they, they redacted the information out, but you could clearly see in terms of what Kirk Smoke and Stu Sims said to the Baltimore City Police Department. And this is, now, this is how deep the corruption runs in the city of Baltimore, brother. Now, Kirk Smoke, he wanted to legalize Smoke drugs, right? He wanted to legalize drugs, What's right? That? He wanted to legalize drugs? Kirk Smoke. Okay. Yeah, see, it's not Kirk Smoke. As I said, Baltimore City became basically ground zero, probably second to New York. For many of the nonprofit white nonprofit industrial complexes that moved here in Baltimore City, so the person who wanted to legalize drugs was George Soros. George Soros became <laughs> one of Kurt Smoke's biggest bundlers and biggest backers. George Soros is the one that's behind the, the the movement around the country to legalize drugs and marijuana because it'd be George Soros, one of his companies and subsidiary that would stand to make money off of it. He's also behind Black Lives Matter too, right? On, what's that? He's behind Black Lives Matter movie too, as well, right? He's the one to put the yeah, money in Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. Black Lives Matters, uh, Race Matters, Media Matters, <laughs> uh, the American Center for Progress, all of that mm-hmm. is George Soros, uh, right. one of the biggest bundlers and hampers of Barack Obama. Uh, he owns a hedge fund company called, um, uh, which is called Quantum. It's George mm-hmm. Soros' company. George Soros was the one that funded a lot of the operatives in Ferguson. A lot of the operatives that were sent to Baltimore, George Soros put up the money. Came out in the Washington Times uh, this year in May that he basically gave over $30 million right. to all of the demonstrations and organizations in uh, Ferguson and Cleveland and New York. And, of course, we can see now in Baltimore That's City. Right. But many right. of the activists didn't get paid, so they had a big fight out there in, in Ferguson and St. Louis to group more which is uh, Missourians Organized for Reform and Empowerment, which is no more than Occupy Wall Street. And uh, what's, what's the group was here with Obama in Chicago? What's the fake white liberal group that was there? Now? Well, Acorn. All of the Acorn, yeah, yeah. And it's redressed it all over again right now. You know what I mean? So, so, wow. But nevertheless, it was Soros that gave the money to Kurt Smoke to push for drug legalization, not decriminalization so they stopped locking up blacks for small amounts of drugs, but they just wanted to legalize, not decriminalize. And there's a difference between legalize and decriminalize. Once you decriminalize, then they won't have this mass incarceration of black folk around this, the illegal uh, sentence discrepancies for the most part. Yeah, that's the Rick Ross's yeah, yeah, right. And crack cocaine. Right. So, so that's not what Kirk Schmoe wanted to do. They basically wanted to give people needles, and as Dick Gregory said, you don't know what's in the needle. You know what I mean? You're, you yeah, that's true. AIDS and the needle. You don't know what's mm-hmm. in the needle. That's so right. Once that needle exchange program, Baltimore became number one in hepatitis C around the country in terms of those needles that they were giving to people. So we don't know what was in the needle, but that was George Soros. And so Soros through the Drug Policy Foundation, George Soros through um, 
the Drug Policy Alliance has given money to a lot of black organizations. If you heard of a group called LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, that's George Soros' group. If you heard of uh, uh, Ron, brother, I, I, I respect uh, Ron Daniels, his group, uh, 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 the Institute for Black World. They right, take money right. from George Soros. Michelle Alexander, that many people talk about her book, uh, The New Jim Crow. She's a George Soros Open Society Institute fellow. So she'll hmm. never talk about the, never speak against the policies of George Soros. I mean, this, this is how deep his money runs uh, in terms of in, in the white community, the fake white liberal community, and uh, unfortunately in, in the black uh, 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 pretenders community in terms of black uh, civil rights leaders as well. And unfortunately, even some of the, the black nationalist groups, such as Ron Daniels' group, in terms of taking an enormous amount of money from George Soros when they go around the country and sponsor a lot of these town hall meetings, it's always going to be somebody from the Open Society Institute that has to be on the panel with Ron Daniels. So, again, as I said, as Tupac said, you got to peep the whole scene and whatever's going on around you. Brain That's damage, right. kind of cloudy, smoked out and feeling rowdy, brother. So you can see. And, and, and to enlighten our people, not to frighten our people, not to scare our people, but to share this information because we need true organic organizations that when they come to our people, that it got to be the total liberation of our people. Can't it be about pushing an agenda for George Soros or pushing an agenda for the Koch brothers or the Koch brothers on from the right side, and George Soros is just the Koch brothers on the left side, brother? I mean, I, I'm definitely hearing you, and it's being amplified because there's a lot of people on the line that's hearing you right now. There's a lot of folks hearing you in the archives what you're saying. How did you hear me? And the thing about it is, Brother Malcolm warned us about this, though, 50 years ago. He told us yeah. about the farce on Washington. He told us how the government financed the Negro Revolution, but that the black revolution is, is, is controlled by God. So all this stuff they're trying to do, they don't understand when we bring black folks together, that's real black power. That's solid, you know, it's unity. That's, right. that's about solidarity. White power is based on divide and conquer and keeping people at each other's throat. Right. That's how the system is, the white yeah. power system. But when we talk about some black power, like you said, some transparency, some unity, and some love, we get stuff done. We shift paradigms, but we don't know our history, and that's the damn problem that we're repeating the same stuff that happened 50, 60 years ago in terms of co-opting with these people, and they got their own agenda, and we're still confused about what we need to be doing as a people. We still don't inform our kids about what's going on. So even Dr. King, you know, people want to destroy Dr. King, but hell, Dr. King stayed alive that long because he had People with guns around him. I remember I interviewed Charles Evers, Megan Evers' brother. Megan Evers, he died on June 12th. Yeah, you know, the anniversary. Uh, yeah, Charles the Evers. Evers. Right. It was the anniversary of the death of Megan Evers, right? Yeah. Right. Live his spirit, brother, and just thank right. him for his work. But Megan Evers was about liberation. He was about nonviolence. And Megan Evers had guns in his home and in his car. He was a World War II veteran. He had right. guns in his car, guns in his home. I talked to Charles Evers. Charles Evers would be 93 years old this year. He's still packing guns, you know, right? He said every time Dr. King came to Mississippi, he'd come to his home first. He had all the guns. They had all the guns. You know, Dr. King's had armed security detail when he came to Memphis. He had Memphis police officers, right. black Memphis police officers, securing him with guns. When he got killed, he had no security. This is when he got killed. When Malcolm got killed, this is when the police, right. When Malcolm got killed, this is when they stopped. You know, they were checking people. And they, you know, because when Malcolm had his, his rally with the Audubon, he had three dozen police around him. That they got killed, they had no police around. And, and, and his folks wasn't checking people. So, ain't nothing wrong with being packing and being protected. You know, Farrakhan, he protected, right? He got the fruit of Islam. He's patting brothers and sisters down. You know, he got to. That's why he's still alive. So, we got to stop this lie about this nonviolent foolishness because it's killing us. 
because you got my hands up, don't shoot. But you in a system that yeah. they speak the language of yeah. violence. Even Dr. King understood that. Just, just my bread is the yeah. greatest yeah. purveyor of violence yeah. on the planet is my own government. But go ahead, I'm sorry, bro. Got me all hyped up, man. And that hands up, don't shoot. <laughs> That's all right. No, we, we got we got to share the information, brother. That hands up, don't shoot. That came from Soros and his crew. As You're well, right. Brother, again, and uh, the Black Lives Matter was basically. I think three lesbians, but it didn't come from these three lesbian sisters on the West Coast. Right. It was basically started by a group of white folk in some suites up in the uh, the research institute in California, and they gave it to the young people. It was called Race Forward, and then after that, Ooh. they started using this Black Lives Matters, following the death uh, the, or the psyops of uh, Trayvon Martin. Then they coined the term, at least that's what they said, uh, Black Lives Matters. And then there was Dorian Johnson who said that uh, uh, the uh, uh, that he and Mike Brown. Uh, said to Officer Darren Wilson, uh, hands up, don't shoot. So, again, all that was the narrative that was used. Wow. That that puts our people in a very uh, uh, submissive position when you talk about hands up, don't shoot. So all that is the image that's being sold to our people. Even in the movie Selma, they were basically saying to black people, bow down and submit. Don't, you know what I mean? Don't rise up. Don't stand up, protect yourself, you know. And so a man on his knees will never, never, ever, ever be respected uh, in terms of looking at the images that they've been selling to our people. I want to talk about the Freddie Gray, if, if time permits, of course. Uh, because yeah, what we've been seeing has been a psyops as mm-hmm. well. Um, 99.9% of what we've been seeing. What we were told was that Freddie Gray, a young brother that lived adjacent to the Gilmore Housing Projects, was outside on a Sunday, April the 12th, at about 8.30 in the morning. And uh, these police officers saw him, and because that's what they call, quote-unquote, a high-crime area, uh, one of the police officers, I believe it was Officer Lieutenant Brian Rice, made contact with Freddie Gray, and Freddie Gray took off running. And Officer Rice, Officer Nero, and Officer Miller uh, basically accosted um, Freddie Gray. And as we saw in that videotape, when they picked him up off the ground, you could hear him screaming. You could see that his, he was not able to lift his head up. So whatever damage was done to his neck and to his vertebrae uh, was already done. You could see him; uh, his legs were limp, and right. they were dragging him. Then mm-hmm. it was only then that Officer uh, um, uh, Gooden, who was the driver, Officer White, and Officer Porter. White came much later because she was the sergeant at the Western District uh, Police Station. She was trying to locate where they were. Once they put Freddie Gray into the van, which we call a paddy wagon, um, basically they drove him not directly to Central Booking, which is where everybody's supposed to go, not to the district precincts, but to Central Booking. They drove him around to North Avenue and Dolphin Street. Then they picked up another suspect, put the other suspect in the van, and then they said that after that time, uh, Freddie Gray had been asking for medical attention. And at that time, I heard some of the radio calls that wasn't released by any of the local media, not released by the state's attorney's office, but I picked it up from the conservative treehouse, which is a white conservative, uh, mm. I think it was tied to Andrew Breitbart, a white mm-hmm. conservative news outlet, which had the copies of the audio of the calls that went out for medical assistance for Freddie Gray, in which you heard them asking where were they, and they were trying to locate where the um, where the uh, uh, paddy wagon was, and they went back to the Western District Police Station, and that's where Sergeant White, the black woman, came upon them, and then she ordered, of course, immediate help for Freddie Gray and uh, wrote up the report. But nevertheless, it was a week later after he sustained his injuries, you could see he was injured, of course, before they put him in the van. A crushed larynx would have to occur not by no, no rough ride in the van. That meant they crushed his learning outside that van or once they before they got him in the van. But nevertheless, a week later, uh, Freddie Gray dies uh, after being in shock trauma from the result of his injuries. And um, 
there then begins the story or the cover-up, which began even before that, because to this day, the state's attorney, the Baltimore City Police Department, uh, the mayor, Commissioner Bass, hasn't released any audio tapes of what occurred on that morning, any real videotape outside of what they've shown of what happened on that morning uh, to Freddie Gray. So there's been a cover-up from the top to the bottom, from the police department to even the state's attorney's office, Merlin Mosby. But there is a clause, and I forget the name of the clause, one of the attorneys was sharing with me, uh, if you charge six officers or more, because they have what's called a cap on what the payout could be on a state level or federal level, but if you charge six or more officers, then they can go beyond that cap. And uh, it's my belief that Marilyn Mosby, because of her close relationship with the uh, Freddie Gray family attorney, who was Billy, Billy Murphy, that they had decided to charge six officers so they could go for more money uh, that they can make off of this case right now. And that's where I believe that that's her angle, that's his angle, and uh, they may eventually try to uh, run her from there. Uh, the next, the election is next year that's coming up, and her treasurer, I have to admit to you, is the same treasurer of former Governor Martin O'Malley, who wants to run for, and has already announced he's running for President of the United States. So this is mob town. So again, she got a mob lawyer. That means she's now, used to be a movie called Married to the Mob. That means she's right. now married to the mob. And Martin hmm. O'Malley is part of the Irish Catholic Jesuit uh, mob that's been running Baltimore and parts of Baltimore for years. He married into a mob family, the Karen family, C-U-R-R-A-N, which has been one of the Jew- which has been one of the Irish Catholic mob families in Baltimore for years. And Baltimore, of course, is a Jesuit town. Maryland is a Jesuit state. That's why it's called Maryland. And uh, so the Jesuits <laughs> have been running this state. Uh, they own a lot of real estate in this state, a lot of real estate in the city of Baltimore, uh, to the point that many of the black nationalists, as we found out during the uprising, they basically have to kiss the ring and then kiss the ring of many of the Jesuits and the Catholics in Baltimore City uh, if they want to move up. We found out even some of the Muslims, uh, we have videotapes of them kissing the ring of the car in Maryland. So, you know, this is why we don't see a lot of the Muslims, unfortunately, standing strong uh, in Baltimore City. Some of them have co-signed for the mayor and co-signed for the policies that the mayor has pushed in Baltimore City because of their perhaps allegiance uh, to those who are in high places in the city of Baltimore. But following the death of Freddie Gray came the uprisings, and, uh, of course, uh, the uprisings, they say, occurred. Uh, the riots occurred um, after the funeral of Freddie Gray. On that day, Commissioner Batts and the police department, they have something called uh, Baltimore. It's called BEMA, the Baltimore Emergency Management Agency. On the state level, it's called MEMA, the Maryland Emergency Management Agency. And on the federal level, it's called FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And uh, it is our belief, and not disbelief, we got the facts and the acts, that this whole operation was a FEMA and Department of Defense and the Department of Justice run operation in Baltimore City. And they were the ones that was filtering information to the media, filtering information into the, what the mayor should say and what the police commissioner could say. So that's why the mayor said that they told the police department to stand down. So the police department has basically gone to, to court through the Freedom of Information Act, and the FOP has asked for that information to be released regarding who gave the orders for the police department to stand down on that Monday, April the 27th, when they attacked our young people. But nobody's asked who gave the orders on that Saturday when there was the demonstration in front of Camden Yards where the Orioles played. And uh, that was, again, as I said, being run and controlled by the Federal Emergency Management Agency because they, this would allow them to unleash a bigger agenda in Baltimore City, which uh, Baltimore is in FEMA Region 3. So we had troops and military personnel that came as far south as Virginia 
and as far north as New Jersey, even though New Jersey is not in FEMA Region 3, it's in FEMA Region 2, but because mm-hmm. of the relationship of this governor with uh, another gangster, Chris Christie. You know, Chris Christie is part of the Genovese family, right? Right. He married yeah. into the gangster Genovese family. Mm-hmm. So, so because of that, <laughs> that means that mean Merlin gets mob money, right? The Genovese. Yeah, so he would go hard for Hogan. He visited Maryland a long, like, he, he really campaigned hard for Hogan, right? Chris, he came to Maryland a lot to campaign for Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I got to remind you that, that Al Sharpton worked for the Genovese family as well. So never let right. Al Sharpton fool you. Al Sharpton worked for the Genovese family for years. So don't let Sharpton fool you. That well, Sharpton is a creation of the mob and not the movement, right? He's a creation of the mob and not the movement. Just Al Sharpton yeah, guy. He came out of the mob. Right, right. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll ask you this. Like, I'll ask you this. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brother Mahomet. No, no, I mean, I just wanted to share as far as with Freddie Gray, because we've seen these psyops run around the country. But right, Baltimore, right. Uh, again, when we saw, quote-unquote, the rioting, and we saw the mayor refer to the young people as thugs, and the president refer to them as thugs, exactly. so that they could unleash more suppressive forces against our young people. And I yep. thank Councilman Carl Stokes, uh, who was one, probably one of the few of the council persons that stood strong and said, you don't want to call them thugs, you just want to call them niggas. Just call them niggas. That's you know? right. And that's so that's right. what they wanted to do, because before you could do that, you first got to dehumanize uh, your, your, your prey or your victims uh, in the eyesight of those that was watching around the world. And that's what we saw by the president, letting you see what, how, how, how intimately tied he is to the forces that are controlling him to further push this militarized federalization and the Israelization of the police departments. And so any city that's receiving the federal funds have to invite the federal government in to their cities and which they say they're going to look at the police departments, but they haven't charged any of these officers with, again, violation of Freddie Gray's federal civil rights to protect the civil rights under the color of law. And so all of this plays into what the federal government wants to do, not to give our people justice, but only, again, further their agenda using our people's pain for their political gain to take more power from the states and give more power to the federal government right now. And so we have to look at that and share that because any of these cities that's getting the money, and it came out right after the Freddie Gray funeral, the next day that Ferguson had been one of the cities that they were going to give these federal dollars to. So Baltimore is one, New York is one, Cleveland is one. You got to check South Carolina, Charleston, they could be another one. But all of this is information is written down. And this is why we have, have these kind of shows, as our brother Steve Coakley always talked about, Connect the dots, reveal the plots, talk about these interlocking relationships so that we can see, uh, again, who's behind the scene that's really pulling the strings so that we can show it to our people. Because nothing happened in a vacuum. Nothing happened by that's accident. Right. So all of this may have been, you understand, something that in all time there's drills before this. They had a drill in Baltimore two years ago before this took place. In the same community where everything, where everything uh, went down, that they had a drill called the West Side Public Safety Initiative two years ago. Where everything took place in Charleston, they had a drill two years ago. Everything took place in Ferguson, they had a drill with the with the uh, uh, the um, that Maryland National Guard and Missouri National Guard two years ago. So you think that was an accident that everything went down in Ferguson? Well, they also had drills in Chicago, right? They had drills in Chicago. So no, right, I remember that. They had drills in Dallas. What happened right. in Dallas? They had drills in Dallas. So this is what they'll do. You know, because and then usually it's some type of uh, military operative company that comes in and they run this tabletop exercise so they can see where they were successful, where they wasn't successful, where they could tweak it. In New Orleans, they had drills 18 months before Katrina. It was called Hurricane Pam. 
and mm. go and look that up. Multi-agency that was involved in that. So when Katrina went down, all that was well-dressed and rehearsed in terms of what it is they wanted to do, which was ethically cleanse New Orleans. And they right. successfully closed the last public school in New Orleans last year. So yeah, they got yeah, multiplied right. in your city. Yeah. And so I went down to New Orleans. And, 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 uh, I'm sorry? No, I went down to New Orleans uh, uh, about a couple years right. ago. And you could see that places in New Orleans is this ghost town. They never coming back. Those neighborhoods ain't never coming yeah, never back. Coming you can smell the scent. They ain't never coming back. Yeah, in Ferguson. In mm-hmm. Ferguson, they used to have a black town called, I think it was called Henlock or Kenlock. And mm-hmm. when they moved those black people out of there to make way for the Lambert International Airport. Yeah. Well, now the people in Ferguson are only five minutes from the airport. So what are the chances that they want the rest of that land that those people are sitting on now? That's right. Kinlock is a ghost town. Now Ferguson may soon be a ghost town. They have what was called the St. Louis Street Initiative two years ago, in which they were talking about funneling money to five five uh, cities in that area, and Ferguson was one, Gearwood was one, and the three others escaped me right now. So all of this was laid out, and then they just needed some type of impetus. They needed some type of what they call a critical incident so that what they had rehearsed they could play out. And sometimes, unfortunately, some of the activists don't know. The real organic grassroots activists don't know. But the ones that's playing a role, they know that they're playing a role in terms of what's going on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But in Ferguson, there was a group called. It was a. It was a. It was a. A company called. Uh, Risk. I think it's called Risk Solutions that was running things. I mean, and the girl name was Erica Arts. And their job is to funnel all information to the media. So whatever the media get from video to audio, they're giving it to them. Some of it could be pictures from something they rehearsed on a military base, but they'll give it to them and say that this is what's going on in Ferguson. So when they were showing fires in Baltimore, that may have been a fire from Venezuela, but they were showing it and making you think it was a fire in Baltimore. I mean, it's like Sandy Hook, like Sandy Hook, it's like Sandy Hook. Those pictures of people, like the kids lining up, yeah, crisis acting yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. It's crazy. Yeah, well, crisis actors were bought in, so we said we got active, we got real activists, then we got some activists. And then when the news media, the corporate control news media comes, then they're the ones they put in front of the camera. And we saw all of that. I mean, I saw people I've never seen before in Baltimore in my life. They're on CNN saying they're from Baltimore. They're on CNN saying they've been fighting police brutality. Uh, they were in Ferguson. And I saw them in Ferguson. The same folks I saw. You know that song, every where I go, I see the same hoe. You know, with Tupac, <laughs> it's like everywhere you go, uh-huh. like you see people from Ferguson yeah, in Baltimore. You see the same hoes. So right, yeah, in Baltimore, you see the bikini. Yeah, we yes, all the hoes and gigolos, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all part of the script. Yes, and, and our people have to ask, why was the national and international news media here in Baltimore if they didn't know something was going to go down? Like mm. I said before, we had Jonathan Luda killed. The international media didn't come in and cover that. That's right. The national That's media right. didn't cover it. We had a councilman and councilman Ken Harris who was killed, and that hit, that was a hit by O'Malley. Everybody knows it, but nobody ever wants to talk about it. He was a brother who was willing to cooperate because he said, I'm not going to jail for Martin O'Malley and Sheila Dixon and Stephanie Rawlins. And the brother was like the Ron Brown, on how they was taking money and, and, and basically stealing money. So that brother was killed, and the national media didn't come to cover it. And we've had a black multimillionaire businessman named Robert Clay who was killed in his office. Again, another O'Malley hit. And they said that he committed suicide. He's right-handed. He shot on the left side of his brain. Construction logo. But, no, the national press wouldn't cover the story. International press wouldn't cover the story. And Elijah Cummins was so afraid as a congressman when the city 
Inspector General wrote a, wrote, wrote a report about it. He said that the case should go to the Department of Justice. Elijah Cummings refused to take the case to the Department of Justice. <laughs> so, so you're like, why all of a sudden do they care about an ordinary Negro killed in West Baltimore, bro? In right. terms of Freddie Gray, if there wasn't more to this. So this was a big giant suck-out where they had to bring in the celebrities to try to calm the people down. They had a Prince concert. They went to Gay Lewis, you know what I mean? They brought yeah. Gay Lewis to town. <laughs> they went and got Carmelo, brought Carmelo to town. They went and got former actors and actresses from the wire and brought them to town. All of it was a giant psyops, you know? Mm. So we have to, right. you know, get our people again to, to see the bigger picture of what really went on in Baltimore City and always ask the question, Key bono, who benefits? You know what I mean? Exactly. Who benefits politically? Who benefits financially? Who, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to ask those questions if you don't ask anything else, because that will lead you to the real answers in terms of what we see going on right now. Well, Councilman Harris here sounds like somebody did the Ron Brown. It's like uh, Martin O'Malley got this Bill Clinton thing. Like he's a mini Bill Clinton, a mini me of Bill Clinton. Yeah, it sounds well, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you got to remember Martin O'Malley came out of what's called the DLC. The Democratic mm. Leadership Council was set up by Bill Clinton and Al Gore. That was supposed to be the conservative corporate wing of the Democratic Party. And anybody who didn't bow down and go along with that, then they would kill them. Remember, not just Ron Brown, but before Ron Brown was made a Jackson was supposed to be the head of the, de- the Democratic Party. Oh, wow. Okay. And they killed him and made Terry McAuliffe the head of the DNC. So, so Mayor Jackson, the former, former mayor of Atlanta, the first black mayor of Atlanta, was killed? Wow, I didn't know. Wow. I remember listening to the news. He wasn't even dead. He died on Monday. They announced it on Sunday night at 11 o'clock. I called Dick Gregory wow. and said, you believe this? They have those stories and what they call, they keep them in the hopper. And somebody released the story too soon. He dropped dead in the airport 1 o'clock the next day. But he had just got a physical and a clean bill of health in terms of Maynard Jackson. Jeez. So this is what we've seen going on. And so with Martin O'Malley, it was, it was years ago, there was a picture of Martin O'Malley and Kathleen Kennedy Townsend. They called mm-hmm. them the future Democrats. So they've, mm-hmm. been, they've been basically uh, uh, raising and gearing and, and, and basically hurting Martin O'Malley's political career. This is what they've done for Martin O'Malley. But that's because of his close ties to the Kennedy family. And so anybody that would challenge him, the Kennedys and the DNC, when Ted Kennedy was living, they would tell him they got to stand down because this is Martin O'Malley's turn to run. And so that's the Irish Catholic mafia. That's why he's always going to where? New Hampshire. He's always going up into that part of the country. He's got a lot of Irish Catholics. Those were were basically a lot of their, quote, unquote, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Their colonies that came all the way down. So this is what we see. You know, and remember, and also, the Kennedys made their money doing what? Bootleg. Oh, like, prohibition, bootleg, drug dealing, basically drug dealing. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, I want to uh, touch upon this as well. I thought, it, I mean, you bringing all this information up is very powerful. Nancy Pelosi comes from Baltimore. Her daddy was a male, right? I mean. Yeah. Now, you talking about, now, you talking about a thug family? I told you this was my town, right? <laughs> right, so right. The thug family? The, 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 the Delisandro? Her real name is Delisandro. She lived in Little Italy. Now, I can tell you uh-huh. stories about Nancy Pelosi. But they had to get uh-huh. out of town because she had a thing for the she had a thing for the brothers, man. Not <laughs> she okay. She's like black men. She had a thing for the brothers, but particularly some of the Mitchell. The Mitchells are, you know, they were the, they were part of the they were supposed to be like the Kennedys of Baltimore, the Mitchell family, right? Uh huh. You know, Clarence Mitchell, Paris right. Mitchell, Michael mm-hmm. Mitchell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, 
She had a thing for the Mitchell families, brother. She had a thing for the brothers, man. They get her out of Baltimore, brother. Wow. I know that. Anything, anything, her family was controlled by the Jewish mob, which was Jack Polikoff. Jack Polikoff, uh, who, who was a gangster. He was arrested 66 times and one time for murder, but never charged. They controlled yeah. the judges and everything that moved in the city, man. Anything they wanted to do, they would do. And so Jack Polikoff, who was a boxer, but his ties went all the way up into Canada with the Bronfman family. Right. So they were he, he controlled the Delisandros. So yeah, we know the right. history of the Delisandros. That's all part of the mob town in Baltimore City, brother. Right. So that's and with how the Bronfman, business gets yeah. done in, ba- in Baltimore. I also yeah, so to say the Bronfman you know family. You know? Right. The Bronfman family, they just found us a secret. And the University of Invendi. I mean, big gangsters. Yeah, it was those Jack Kennedy and Autumn guys. Yeah, yeah. Myron Lansky, Purple Game, Detroit. Let me ask you this, too. I want to talk because, like, I know our time is going by fast. I want to get people to call in. People have been waiting patiently to talk to you and ask questions. But I I got this thing in my head. With Martin O'Malley, to me, if Quality Kilpatrick was the same color as Martin O'Malley, he would be governor. He would have been governor. He might have been running for president right now. I mean, because it seems like you look at what happened in Detroit, uh, Quality Kilpatrick. Look what happened with Kwame up at Detroit versus, yeah, versus Marzo Mali. Everyone got the same narrative, so to speak. You know, mayor of this, you know, big city or a connected city. And But the only thing about it is Kwame is black and O'Malley is white. But they certainly got the same story almost. Uh, yeah, yeah, for the most part. I mean, Kurt Schmoke, normally, normally because Baltimore was, was population-wise the largest city in Maryland, only if you became the mayor, you could, you could, you eventually would expect that you were going to run for governor. But right. that only happened with the whites. When Kirk Smoke became the, the mayor, tell you an inside story. What happened was Kirk Smoke had promised, he had promised the, 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 the casino moguls, the real gangsters that's outside of Baltimore. Baltimore mm-hmm. gangsters, they keep it localized for the most part. They have connections outside, but they never let the outsiders come in and run Baltimore. So what right. happened was Kirk Smoke reached out to the outside boys. And so the outside boys, they was going to bring casino gambling. This one, Kurt, this was when Glenn Denning was the governor. Well, mm. Glenn Denning double-crossed Kurt Schmoke. And Glenn mm. Denning said that they was not going to bring gambling into Maryland. Kurt Schmoke got run out of Baltimore and couldn't even live in Baltimore. They sent him wow. to D.C. And he took a job as the head of the Dino School of um, Law at uh, Howard University. Kurt Schmoke was just allowed to come back into Baltimore by Martin O'Malley in the, in the, in the, uh, the uh, Catholic gangsters for the most part. Wow. That's what wow. happened with Kurt Schmoke. And that's what I want to touch upon, like, you know, I want to touch upon, like, well, I'm going to ask you this real quick, and I want to touch upon, like, the women leadership in Baltimore. Was Freddie Gray, was he a CI? By any chance, was he uh, an informant? From, 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 all, from all my sources and information that I received, absolutely. Because I mean, Brian Rice, to me, yeah, because Brian Rice, to me, he just got caused the most serious charges because he was the one that recognized Freddie Gray. He, you know, he initiated the whole like incident, so he, was he was that his handler? That's what I want to know. Was that his controller, uh, Brian Wright? Well, I think all of us eventually. I think all of us going to eventually. If you got a real press, if you have a real press, and I'm talking mm-hmm. black press, white press, and then this real grassroots press, they right. would be pressing to get that information. They would go through the necessary steps, freedom of information, you know, and get that information in terms of uh, Freddie Gray. But as I said before, Freddie Gray had numerous arrests. And uh, Freddie Gray have been, like I said, look at the pattern. They've taken Freddie mm-hmm. Gray as well as other countless young people to um, to the Western District. So when they right. took them to the Western District, as I said before, they take them to the Western District and to their local. They got nine district station houses. And they're taking young brothers and young sisters, particularly young brothers, and they're taking them to make them their, their basically, part of my language, 
They're making them their criminal informants. They're making them their rats. Or when we're right. on the street, they say they're making them their bitches. Right. You know what I'm I hear you. So I definitely this, hear you. This is unfortunately has been the, been the pattern of what they've done with young brothers uh, in Baltimore City. So you take that story and multiply it. But again, it'll come out. It should come out in the media. But what's happening is you've seen the state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, who they want to make a local celebrity now. I mean, here's a right. girl that's been a neophyte. She's only, she's only in, in uh, law for four years. So how do you take somebody who's been in law for four years, and now you make them a state's attorney? Well, you got, right. you got Jews and others that's been down there for 20 years, and they made them state's attorneys. So you better ask some really real questions and follow mm-hmm. the money and ask who's her backers and what, what are their plans for her. So, yep. But that information should come out, but they're trying to suppress information from coming out right now as opposed to having the transparency that she claimed that she was going to have. All that was just talk. All that was just, a, all that was just a, uh, an act for the most part that uh, she doesn't want transparency because if you want transparency, then, you know, more than just uh, the, the few people that they're offering up will be offered up, and uh, they wouldn't be giving us the story or the angle that Freddie Gray died as a result of a rough ride in the van. They would clearly say that whatever happened to him happened to him on the outside with Officer Caesar, uh, Nero, Officer uh, um, Miller, and Officer Rice. But right. nobody's asking that question. And uh, so we've had a few uh, uh, black police officers that have stepped forward and have asked those questions and said, you know, why are you charging Officer White when the ones that had the least contact with him are the ones they're trying to charge with the most severe uh, uh, charges right now, the three mm-hmm. black officers. I would right. say them if they were black or white, if they participated in the killing of the brother, they all should be charged. But the mere fact that she's only going after the three black officers with the most serious charges lets you know that there's more to it. And as I shared with you before, there is a clause. I think it's called, I want to call it the Manus, not the Manus, it's a clause that allowed them to sue for more money. And so Billy Murphy may be looking for a big payday, and uh, she may be looking for a big payday as well. When you look at who her handlers are and look at who her treasurer is, which is the same treasurer for Martin O'Malley. But, yeah, when it relates to your question, is Freddie Gray being a CI? All my sources just said, yep, he was definitely a CI. Because the last time he went to court, he was looking at seven years in jail. Now, mm-hmm. I have to ask you, what young brother goes to court looking at seven years in jail, and all he got was 1,000 hours of community service? That, yeah. don't happen even in, that don't happen even in the Hollywood picture, brother. Right. You're like seven years, and you're young, and you're black. And, you're, right. and, 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 and you know that the Correctional Corporation of America was privatizing prisons, who sent a letter to the governor when Martin O'Malley was the governor, and they said if mm-hmm. you don't keep those prisons at 95% capacity. I mean, these are the, these are the Correctional Corporation of America. The bond companies are saying they make money off black bodies, and you're not going to put a black body in prison? And you're going to give them $1,000 of community service? Nah, come on. Let's, let's just use logic. Use our common sense and said that don't happen. That's right. And also, you know, I was thinking about the fact, too, when I found out that she was on Judge Judy uh, Mosby, the Mosby lady, it kind of blew my mind because when I first saw her at the press conference, I looked at her husband and her. It's like when I saw Barack Obama for the first time back in 2004 doing the Democratic convention. I had talked mm-hmm. to my friend that night that we were looking at it together. You just came back from Africa on the Peace Corps. I said, Barack Obama's going to be president in 2012. And that was 2004. Then, like, when I saw Mosby, I said, she's going to be governor. She's going to be mayor. She's going to be governor. I mean, I already saw that, like, the way they take these characters and these roles. This is better than primetime television. And Billy Murphy was in the wild, too. He was a lawyer in the wild. So the theater, the games, as Brother Gregory would say, the games, the games, the games. But also, I want to ask you, too, like, you talking about how they charge them incorrectly. So basically, they're not, none of the cops are going to jail, and they, the family don't get a big payout. They're going to get a big civil lawsuit payout. Is that how it's going to go? The cops yeah. are not going to jail, and they get right. a big civil payout. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that when the dust settles to those officers, they may not even they may, may not they may not they may not go to jail. And if they do, it'll be similar to what we saw with uh, the case of uh, Oscar Grant. Right. With, uh, with, yeah. uh, 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 Eighteen months. If that. Yeah, nothing long. Right. So, but I think that but if if that so that we look we could clearly be looking at Rodney King, you know, redo in terms of in Baltimore City right now. Yeah, I also want to talk to you too, man. Yeah. Cause, I mean, you said. I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off, brother Muhammad. No, well, um, as, as it relates to Marilyn Mosley, they may have they may have big big plans for her. Uh, again, as I said before, in terms of the the, the white uh, gorilla family, which are white businessmen <laughs> for banking to uh, right. uh, many of the corporations that basically run the city and run the politicians, uh, they may have plans for her. And this is what they'll do, you know, I mean, to see which one can you know take the heat and you can't, you know, it's like you're trying to right, build right. the foundation. Like they're hazing them right now, right? Yeah, they hate it. Well, I mean, yeah. she's, she's tied in, too, uh, you know, being in, in one of the uh, Panhellenic councils. She's in one of the sororities. Her husband's in the fraternity. So all that ties into it. And when you take that money and know you're going to get them phone calls at night, somebody want to sleep with you or somebody want to sleep with your husband, they they got to participate in it. That's oh, all part yeah. of the initiations, brother. So looking, you're talking about, you can be talking about Baltimore is, is heavy in, as far as homosexuality, bestiality. Mm-hmm. Because of what the Catholics and what the Jesuits did on Easter Shore when they broke our fathers. Talking about sodomites. Baltimore is Baltimore's honeycomb with them, brother. Baltimore is wow. honeycomb. And uh-huh. if you're a black man, you can't move up in any political positions, man, unless you unless you might be part of the LGBT crew, T crew community, and in the sisterhood as well. We jokingly wow. call the sisterhood of the traveling pants or the yaya sisterhood. You know what I mean? <laughs> so no, in in Baltimore, you got to be a gender bender, a diaper swiper. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. A cellar dweller, and you may be able to move up in this in this city. But that's 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 I mean that's the reality of this city right here. What we're looking at, it's honeycomb. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Not what you do, it's who you do. You know what I mean? Or who right. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that's, this. That's, they do that. They do that for control, brother. They do How you do? Control is what mm. you've done. So you got people that control assets that's been put in those positions, and they'll never get out of line. Otherwise, they will be made an example of for others, so they don't get out of line. Yeah, I, I want people to look up this too uh, on the line. If y'all listen to the show. Look up uh, Alistair Crowley and his sex magic. Because, like, a lot of stuff you talk about with the cabals and all this stuff, it has a lot to do with that. And also, I want to talk about what you mentioned, because you're so great with words. You are two words, Smith. You're a throwback, man, to the good old days of black radio. And you, you said something in an interview. Oh, I was talking about the black woman leadership. I was very impressed with Baltimore in terms they got so many sisters in positions of power and authority, or so I thought. And you said something that a lot of you women are compromising Cleopatra's or either fighting Nefertiti. Yeah. A lot of them are more compromising mm-hmm. Cleopatra's. You talk about the Olivia Pope mindset or the uh, Viola Davis character that she plays, you know, both black women creations. But I'm, I'm just uh, mm-hmm. curious about, you know, these sisters in these positions of, of power influence in Baltimore. Like, he gives a quick rundown on, mm-hmm. on uh, Stephanie Rollins Blake and also Sheila Dixon and some other folks who want to throw in. Well, I mean, as I said before, the imposition is a power, but they don't have no power. And as Dr. Frances Cress Wellsman says in her book, uh, The ISIS Paper, she talks about our black women uh, being in positions of power and who will they rule? Will they be, uh, again, fighting Nefertiti's or fighting Nefertiti's, or will they be compromising Cleopatra's? Meaning Cleopatra, who laid down with Julius Caesar, laid down with Mark Anthony, thinking that that was going to give an extension over her power and over her kingdom and over her reign in terms of, again, uh, her people in Africa. And uh, mm-hmm. after all of that, of course, she commits suicide. 
And so we have these black women in positions of power, such as Sheila Dixon when she was there. We had Stephanie Rollins, who is now the mayor, after Sheila Dixon was removed from office for stealing of gift cards from the poor. But this is because uh, she, some say, was a compromise of Cleopatra and wouldn't offer up. Uh, you know, say when elephants fight, the grass, of course, is the ones that get hurt. But sure, right. they wanted the big boys behind the scene, didn't want Sheila Dixon. They wanted Martin O'Malley. But Sheila Dixon was so corrupt, but she was so much in love with Martin O'Malley, she fell on the sword. And rather than give Martin O'Malley up, she, she, she basically she sacrificed her own political career for this white man. So, wow. you know, that's, a, that's what you call a meritorious, meritorious man your mission as well. <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> so, likewise, we see the same thing with Stephanie Rawlings as well. And as I said to you before, that Stephanie Rawlings, when she was on the council, so you've seen The Wire, when you've seen the, the city council president perform right. fellatio on the mayor. That's Sheila mm-hmm. Dixon and Martin O'Malley, man. That's, that's true. That ain't, that, ain't, that ain't just some stuff they making up. That's true. Those wow. women, basically, their weakness are white, white men. I think it was our brother, attorney, uh, the warrior lawyer, Alton Maddox, that said Al Sharpton is a serial xenophile, meaning somebody mm-hmm. who loves white folk. But we mm-hmm. got some black women like Sheila Dixon, like Stephanie Rawlins, like Marilyn Mosby, that are serial xenophiles. They love white men, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So why the nation is talking about this one white woman that's pretending to be black? We got a lot of black women just running around here acting like they white. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I like how you did that, brother. Yeah. Well, I'll call, so I would ask you too. Go ahead, sorry. Sheila Dixon. Mm. Stephanie Rawlins, brother, used to weigh 300 pounds, man, three years ago. She, had a 300, she was 300 pounds, and the girl was unbelievable, brother. They gave her an extreme makeover. Uh-huh. For an extreme makeover, she had a gastric bypass, and this girl is almost as light as a white woman now. She was yeah. as dark as you, brother Ron. And they wow. gave this woman extreme makeover. And I always say, if she pays much attention to black Baltimore and to our schools and to our wrecks that they privatized and basically sold over to like John Hopkins and many of the universities, if she paid as much attention to Baltimore, black Baltimore, as she did to that extreme makeover she had, we'd be number one in everything that's positive in the city right now. We wouldn't have what we have going on in the city right now. But that's All where right. we are. And so it does no good to put these black women in positions of power if you don't see the source behind the power that still controls them. And that's what we've had right now. They know, they know, they know uh, Maxine Waters. They're not, you know what I mean, a Shirley Chisholm. They're right. not a Barbara Jordan. You know what I mean? They're, not, right. they're, they're an imitation of a black woman and a cheap imitation at that, brother. You know? Wow. But it just, wow. and then they make them celebrities where our people only get concerned with she spoke at my graduation or she came to my church or she's in my sorority. And why do you want to criticize her? Don't you want to see her be successful? And I'm saying not if her success means our people demise. No, I don't want to see her successful then. Yes, I want to stop her because I know that it's not her success, it's their success. You know? Mm-hmm. And they never put them in unless they can take them out. I always remember that. I heard that. I want to go to the lines right quick. Uh, I know people are waiting patiently to talk to you, brother Muhammad. I'm going to run a little bit over it. Is that a problem? Like, I'm going to make it quick and make it fast. Like, uh-huh. People have been I'm waiting. Fine. Okay. I'm people fine. waiting. Fine. I'm I mean, fine. this yeah, so much information you have, man. I just want to make sure that you're the proper, like, the proper as much you can. We're about to have you back on a couple of times. I already know that. But uh, going to the first college and waiting patiently, area code 412. You're on the air. Welcome to We All Be. Four one two. The switchboard, boy. Okay, let's move right quick. 
Dr. Issa, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Trying to get this board trying to act kind of. Hey, I'm going to ask you right quick about Jamal Bryant, man, because I'm, I'm very curious about him because <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you why. Because I don't go to Thursday much, right? And when I was in B-more my last round, last time around, I went to this church two times within three days. And I was just impressed with the man. He's very charismatic. He's one of them great orators. I mean, he got like the Keynesian thing going on. He's very charismatic. He's like he's very active in the community. He has concerns. He's like women love him. And men respect him too. So what's the real deal with Jamal Bryant? I mean, you're a Baltimorean. You know, you know more than I do about this guy. Exactly. But I'm impressed by him from the outside looking in. <laughs> Who is he? Yes, sir. Well, well, you know the old saying, brother, all that glitters is not gold. <laughs> Jamal Bryant basically, uh, is his father was uh, Bishop John Bryant, who was uh, very active and had a very uh, socially active uh, church at Bethel AME Church. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Jamal Bryant, of course, traveled with his father in Africa with his sister. Uh, but basically, he was a, a sprawl riding child for the most part. Uh, never really was a part of the movement. And um, sometimes, you know, we, you can have uh, fathers that are, that, are, that are ministers and some of the worst children, unfortunately, I have to say, can yeah. be children who are family or fathers or ministers because they resent, unfortunately, sometimes what, because their father is not there for them due to they may be out there on the mission and don't have a full understanding of who their father really is and what he's committed to. Well, Jamal Bryant, of course, uh, went to Baltimore City Public Schools, wasn't the most intelligent child. Um, and uh, to my knowledge, I don't think he graduated, but he was allowed somehow to get into Morehouse, which usually means that that's the political ties, that's the fraternal ties. So, of course, you know, he's in Morehouse, you had to take the pledge, right? Mm-hmm. That's automatic. You had to take the pledge. If you're in Morehouse, mm-hmm. you, you cross the hot burning sands, as they say, to join one of the fraternities, <laughs> and they move you up. Uh, right. so, 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 so Jamal gets moved up, and Jamal, of course, starts off and says he wants to, you know, have a ministry, but he couldn't work under Frank Reed, who's uh, or Frank Reed at Bethel. So he ventures out and starts his own ministry and calls it Empowerment Temple. But mm-hmm. uh, Jamal Grant uh, basically has never really stood politically for any social issues or civil rights issues for our people in the city of Baltimore. So mm-hmm. it's my belief now, not just my belief, but I know that whatever you see Jamal Bryant doing, Jamal Bryant is working for the White House and the Department of Justice in terms of getting funding from the Obama administration. All you got to do is, is, is follow. Every time something happens in the city, there's four people that have shown up for the most part. Al Shelton, Jesse Jackson, Jamal Bryant, and Malik Fuji Shabazz. Right. So you that out, all you got to do is look at it. Those right. are the four people that they send out. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, I debated Malik, so I can tell you some things about Malik as well, but let's be clear. So Jamal Bryant who um, basically uh, has the church, and unfortunately uh, we see him having more of what's called a profiteering church as opposed to a prophesizing church. It's not a church that he's really challenging the powers that be in Baltimore City. He's been closely aligned with the powers that be in Baltimore City. Uh, In fact, Jamal Bryant, most of his security at his church are Baltimore City police officers. So when you see him ranting against the police department, all that's just an act because most of his security are Baltimore City police officers. If the mayor wants to speak, say something to Jamal Bryant, she sends it via his police officers. If O'Malley wants to say something to Jamal Bryant, he sends it through his police officers. So that is just a trick. That's like Pharaoh and his magicians, man, to fool the people, to make people think that they're really with you and they're working in opposition with the opposition against our people's total liberation and our people getting freedom, justice, and equality. And so Jamal Bryant has always been that way. 
in terms of just trying to be an opportunist. And so while we were out fighting against police brutality, Jamal Bryan never stood up. When we was out fighting against the illegal, unconstitutional civil rights arrest of 100,000 black people under Martin O'Malley when he was the mayor, Jamal never stood up against any of that, brother. He stayed in his comfort zone, in his safe zone, because he was afraid they would snatch his permits from him. And so Jamal was meeting in a lot of the high schools. He didn't have a building. And so what happened was we had a minister that had a building up on the other side of Park Heights. And usually you can't go on the other side of Northern Parkway because that's called Israel. And you can't get on that side unless you're kissing the Jews, kissing the Jews in the Zionist ring. So Jamal had to kiss the ring so that he could move up into that building. That building he had was a church of a minister that was supposed to be. You saw it's a motel right there before you get to that church. Mm-hmm. There's a motel right. on the right yeah. side. Yeah, yeah, I seen it. That motel, that motel is is infamous called called the uh uh uh, uh it was it was called the sex motel because what happened <laughs> is a lot of the ministers would be counseling women and they take them over into that motel and have sex with them. So that the wow. minister that had that church before Jamal, he was supposed to be counseling one of his congregation members and he impregnated her and so all hell broke loose. So he ended up losing the church. And the Jews took the church from him and gave it to church to Jamal. That's how, that's how Jamal got in that building up there. And Jamal is so entrenched in the city government, you don't know where the city government begins and his church ends, man. They shut down a public school and moved the black children out and privatized the public school and made it a charter school and gave it to Jamal. So when you hear him talking about he's concerned about them building prisons and, and shutting down schools and laying off city employees, ask him when did he ever stand up for all the schools that they closed before. But if you ask anybody who's been standing up, they'll tell you Brother Muhammad was out there. They'll tell you about the numerous times they tried to arrest me because we confronted the superintendent, Andre Alonso, about closing the public schools. They'll tell you mm-hmm. about the numerous times they tried to arrest me for daring to challenge the people that they brought in, Arabs from other parts of the state, and told them that they were going to give the school to them, and they didn't even have a child in the Baltimore City Public Schools. They can tell you about wow. those numerous times that we stood up for the people that was illegally arrested in the city of Baltimore, had demonstrations. But Jamal has never, ever, ever stood up. And so if you see him standing up now, it's insincere, and there's more to it than what they're telling right now. So, But that's been Jamal. There's so much more I could, I could tell you about Jamal. We're going to bring you back. We're going to definitely bring you back on. I could tell you so much more I could tell you about Jamal, how he tried to get my show pulled off the air, because we was exposing the things he was doing to women in his congregation. So what was he doing? Nothing but a pulpit pill. Okay. Impregnating women, impregnating the young girls, and then sending other congregation members downtown to pretend like they were him to take the paternity test, brother. Wow. All this came out. This is public information. If you go to his website, his website was not a picture of Jesus or not a picture of God or heaven or anything. His website was a Bentley, man, that you had to press the button on the Bentley to go into the website. But Jamal was trying to be a shot call in the baller, man. He was not trying to be no minister. Wow. You know, he still has it up there. He was talking more about his cause and talking about his congregation, brother. So he's got a lot of women in his church, too, though. He has a lot of women. He has a lot of women. Yeah. Right. But that's because women are drawn to power, but they don't even realize that's not that's not real sincere power from God. He got the oratorial skills. He may have the gift, but oh, yeah, again, you look at how he's serving the people and not serving the people. No, all you got to do is ask as he call for any boycott of the city of Baltimore. If you that concerned, if you going to talk king ministry, and I talked to Bobby Dick Gregory because now he's reached out to Bobby Dick Gregory, and Bobby Dick Gregory's supposed to be at a, a, a program with Jamal. I, yeah. I don't I don't trust him and have never trusted him. I've even had a conversation with the brothers in the Nation of Islam that they they mm-hmm. around Jamal Bryant. I said, is a man that told this congregation years ago not to even go to the Million Man March. Spoke, and he spoke out so bad against the march and now you're embracing him. You know what I mean? 
But you yeah, I know he, he, he hang around the brothers. He, he, he hang around the brothers, though. He do hang around the nation of Islam. It's so representative. The nation yeah. be with him. Yeah. So when I said you send a mix, but it, it sends mixed messages to our people is what it does. It confuses yeah. our people and looks very contradictory to our people right now. And we're at a time right now in our history, we got to be real clear with our people and make it plain to our people. You yes, know, sir. but Jamal yes, is a modern day magician for the modern day American. What's that horse called? American Pharaoh? Yeah. He's a magician for the American Pharaoh that's down there at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Barack Obama, brother. And that's the truth. That's all you got to do is look at it. That's who he's working for. I keep telling people, don't let him fool you. All right? Yeah, I got the lines up right now. I want to go to the people that have been waiting patiently. I want to thank everybody for waiting patiently. Talk to Brother Darren Muhammad. He's a treasure trove of information. He's a real freedom-fighting Black-loving brother who loves liberation for our people. So, Eric Cole, 412, y'all on the air. Welcome to all Hello. Hello, how you doing? Welcome to We All Be. How you doing, brother? I'm good. Yeah, who's this? Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Brother Bataille Cole out of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I've been listening to the program today. I've been very inspired uh, by this program. Yes, uh, 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 yourself and also Brother Muhammad, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, there's a war going on on black people um, uh, worldwide, not just the, mm-hmm. the motherland, in, in the United States particularly. There's a, a systematic war uh, that's happening all the way down from government to police, you name it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, of course, the uh, liberal politicians, you know, um, you have this same phenomenon happening out here in Philadelphia where I'm at. Uh, in Chirac, in, in, in Detroit, Cleveland. There are also mm-hmm. other cities uh, uh, right. that are, uh, you know, uh, scared police brutality, uh, discrimination, racism, and all these other things, even further than that, uh, what we would call extermination, um, extermination campaign. Um, and, and uh, of course, um, I, have, I have a radio program myself. Um, you know, I've, I've touched on a lot of things also in uh, D-more, Baltimore, uh, you know, and I'm just, I'm just inspired how you brothers are standing up fighting, uh, Brother Muhammad and whatnot. The truth that you're speaking is inspiring mm-hmm. to me. And I just want to let you know, you have black folks out here in Philadelphia. We with you, brother. You know, and we, and we, need, we need to link up. Yes. Uh, uh, and that, that needs to happen. Our people are being attacked worldwide, brother. All across the United States. It's not just a situation. And I've been beating the horn, of course, social media, you know, connecting with brothers in the Panther Party. More times, simple brothers, you know, you name it. And it just yeah. seems like a lot of people have a passive, um, um, you know, like a passive, um, you know, a, a passive approach. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Baltimore, I've always wondered about the city of Baltimore. I've had uh, two friends I've met in Baltimore, but I've always wanted to hear the politics. See, we got mm. Negro vampires out here. And, you know, yeah. Negro devils, white devils out here in, in Philadelphia, out here. You know, like uh, Michael Leonard, who's a, who's a house mm-hmm. Negro, also uh, 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 Mayor Street, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's police commissioner uh, Charles Ramsey. The destruction of Philadelphia, a lot yeah. of the blacks who have the upper political positions, they're aware of what's yeah. happening. So um, I just wanted to uh, uh, mention that, and then also I hope that uh, you do some kind of way I can give you my contact, and we can uh, uh, contact each other. Because I would like uh, also to hear this story over, 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 over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me let me thank you, brother, for your call. 
Uh, I, I was honored to do Sister Empress Radio Show, uh, one of the sisters who was the organizers for the Million Women March. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've done her show at least once, and we're going to be uh, linking up. Uh, of course, I'm on Facebook at Darren, D-A-R-E-N, State of the City, and last name is Muhammad, M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. Of course, you mentioned the Philadelphia Connection, and as our brother Steve Copley have always talked about, uh, connecting the dots and these interlocking relationships. And when you look at Chief Ramsey as well as Mayor Nutter, uh, they're on the President's uh, Task Force for 21st Century Policing, which is the federalized uh, police departments around the country. The Mayor of Baltimore City and the Police Commissioner here, Chief Bats, uh, are also on the President's Task Force for 21st Century Policing. So I don't think that what we're seeing is an accident at all. I believe it's a well-orchestrated, manipulated uh, plan that's being carried out in these cities right now. So Philadelphia uh, could be next, as I've been saying. Keep your eye on Philadelphia because they didn't put them in those positions for nothing. And uh, I thought it was interesting that in Oakland, Batch became the police commissioner, and Oakland hadn't had an uprising or quote-unquote a riot in 40 years. And as soon as he's made the police commissioner, they have the riots. And, of course, part of it is orchestrated with the Occupy Wall Street, which is basically George Soros funded. So he comes to Baltimore. Baltimore hasn't had a riot, as they said, since 1968, 40 years ago. Bass right. comes to town, and then, of course, uh, a year into his uh, being the police commissioner, the riots break out. So, again, as I said before, 99.9% of what we've been seeing is well orchestrated and goes directly right back to the White House and Department of Justice. Uh, they were here having meetings with the ministers, which are on the clergy response teams, like Jamal Bryan and others, and they were told, if they wanted to go out after 10 o'clock, they had to turn over all their information to the Department of Justice. And Jeff Johnson, you know you know Jeff Johnson from Tel- Radio? Right, yeah, like BET. the radio yeah. personality come to Baltimore? Yeah, from BET and he was in jail. with uh, right. Ricky Smiley right. and some other people. Right. He came right. to Baltimore and was running a meeting with the woman from the Department of Justice. So it lets you see that even those in media that's on your morning radio stations, to Ricky Smiley, to Tom Joyner, to, to Steve Harvey, these people are part of, again, the establishment and are working basically as gatekeepers to keep light from coming to our people as far as information, brother. And uh, they're being paid and paid well with what they're doing right now. But those clergy, FEMA clergy response teams are real, and they're operating in cities all around this nation. And that church that got burnt, one of those, one of those ministers that owned that property, uh, Dante Hickman, uh, is tied to the FEMA clergy response team. And it wasn't the church that was burned. It was the senior citizen building that they were planning to build, as well as other services that they were going to provide in that building across from the church that was burned. But they had lost their funding, and a lot of the funding had come through Johns Hopkins, which is uh, which means that they will get the insurance money off of that fire that occurred. And you know it's interesting that the ATF and, and BEA has been here in Baltimore releasing pictures of those who they said went into CVS and went into these so-called 27 pharmacies, and we're stealing medication, but yet they haven't shown who started the biggest fire, which there, which was there in East Baltimore, not even where most of the, what they call ground zero. It wasn't right. at North and Pennsylvania Avenue. This was four miles away where the biggest fire occurred there on uh, North and uh, Gay Street. And again, they haven't shown us any videotape of uh, who started that fire. So, again, they may clearly be working in cahoots with those who actually started the fire for, again, looking at Kimono, who benefits, brother. Wow. I don't think the brother Philadelphia with that question. And also we're going to go, there's a D.C. area, 202, you on the air? What can we all be? Hello. Hello, how you doing? What's your name? Hi, how are you doing? Oh, how are you? Hi, how are you? Uh, to the host and to the guests, I really 
enjoyed listening to Mr. Muhammad. Um, I wanted to ask, oh, oh, you're very welcome. I wanted to ask how just, uh, um, well, I wanted to ask how you think the police officers damaged uh, Mr. Freddie Gray's voice box. Do you think they stepped on his um, mm. throat, or how do you think that occurred? And also, do you think that they put their knee in his back and that caused mm-hmm. the, the heavy damage, or did they stomp on his back, do you think? Thank you. Okay. Thanks for your call. Thank you for your question. It was an excellent question. Well, most of the Baltimore City Police Department, i got to say, another, as I always talk about, the federalization of the police, the militarization of the police, and the Israelization of the police. Many of the chiefs in the major cities in America have to go to Israel for their training. Uh, it's no accident that Commissioner Batch, when he was over San Jose Police Department, was sent to Israel. Many of the chiefs here in Baltimore uh, and commanders have been sent to Israel for training. And so they've learned those tactics from the Mossad and from the uh, IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, when we know and saw, uh, it was two years ago, how they beat the 15-year-old Palestinians. And so these are the tactics that they've learned when they go into making arrests. You saw the police officer in McKinney, even though he's not in Baltimore, the first thing he did was put his neck on that young 15-year-old little girl. So these are the tactics that they're learning in terms of how how when they want to subdue, quote-unquote, a person. Uh, And so they use this tactic on Freddie Gray. And uh, most of them said, they only showed you part of the videotape. We're in a city that probably got more cameras than Vegas and probably... England right now in terms of yeah. closed-circuit TV cameras that Baltimore City has, and we have satellite images that they've been using. It's come out that the FBI uh, was flying, of course, their blimp that's been here since the beginning of the, the year, flying over Baltimore City. Uh, they've been flying drones during the protests, during the riots, and since that, they've been flying drones. It's come out that NSA, of course, has been using uh, long-range audio defense devices, which are for mind control. But nevertheless, when we look at that, they haven't shown us all the angles that they could show us in terms of how they damaged the neck of Freddie Gray. But you can look at it and see as uh, two of the women who videotaped it, and it was only the narrative that the media came out to say it was a, it was a gentleman or a black guy that videotaped it. But the initial story was two women, and we haven't heard from those women. But they said that basically initially when it came out that they folded him like a pretzel. So Freddie Gray was not a big guy. He only weighed about 125 pounds, uh, right. if that. And uh so they basically folded him out, and one officer was on his neck, and the other officer, of course, was, was holding him down. So we saw the damage there. Now, the crushed learners could occur on the ground or could occur before they put him in that van, or once they got him in the van. But you couldn't get that, as uh, many of the um, uh, uh, experts in anatomy and physiology and doctors have come out to say, you ain't going to get no crushed learners uh, driving in no, no paddy wagon van. So, and it's come out. They Baltimore City Police and talking to brothers in the street. Uh, they would kidnap brothers and take them over to Carver High School that's not too far uh, from where Freddie Gray was arrested. And they beat brothers down and then take them to the police station. The report came out in Baltimore Sun that over 2,000 people in Baltimore City over the past year had to be turned away from Central Booking due to the enormous injuries that they sustained uh, in the custody of the Baltimore City Police Department. So that means one of two things. They're either beating them at the station before they take them to Central Booking to turn them into snitches, or they're beating them elsewhere and then taking them to Central Booking. So when you got 2,000 people that's been turned away because of the severity of their injuries, then that's where the feds are supposed to come in and charge and do as they did in Oakland, put this police department under federal receivership not come in and make compromises with them when they sound like a, a, a treasury department as opposed to the Department of Justice right now. But again, yeah. back to your initial question, those, those injuries had to occur before they put Freddie Gray uh, into that paddy wagon. But again, we have a, 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 the head of the University of Maryland shock trauma named Dr. Anthony Scalia, 
Nobody's heard from him to ask him that question. The media has stopped asking that question. They're only, that's how you know they're all in cahoots because the angle and narrative that they keep trying to sell and tell to us is that Freddie Gray sustained those injuries he had because they didn't strap him in uh, in, in the uh, paddy wagon. It was due to they had no seatbelts in the paddy wagon, and nothing could be further from the truth as far as how he sustained that injury. Because if you, would, if you would believe that, then you got to ask them how many other people have died in the past year, the past month. You understand that y'all didn't strap in. So, you know, it becomes a big giant, giant con game where they now want to start talking about we're going to go out and buy – a uh, new paddy wagon, and all of them going to be able to have seatbelts in them. Come on, you know, that's a con game. So you can't, you can't believe that foolishness that they're trying to sell. And even the state's attorney is trying to sell that to the public right now, brother. But again, uh, nothing could be further from the truth regarding what really happened to Freddie Gray. Well, I think this is for that excellent thank question. Thank you very much. Oh. Mm. Yes, thank right. you, and, and thanks for your service, Mr. Muhammad, and thank you to the host. Thank, oh, thank you. you for listening. And, and of course, this. I got to add that it did come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freddie Gray had just had a recent lawsuit settlement. Uh, right. They moved it to Howard County, show you how the gangsters work. But he was a victim of lead paint poisoning, he and his twin sister, Federica. And they won. I don't know what the amount was. Dick Gregory has said that it was a police uh, brutality lawsuit as well that Freddie Gray had received the payout on. So, again, you would think that the state's attorney would bring all that information forward. His lawyer, Billy Murphy, would bring all that information forward. Uh, but he did have a uh, lead paint settlement. And the payments were supposed to go all the way into, as I read the files, all the way into 2039, in which they were paying he as well as his sisters. And one of the the the, um, the uh, landlords of the home he lived in was a guy named Stanley Roshkin, which is probably one of the biggest Jewish slumlords in Baltimore City. So sometimes when you hear about these shootings and killings, a lot of what we found out is some of these young people have been just awarded uh, large lead paint settlements. And uh, so they found themselves either being robbed or being victims of home invasions, or outright just being killed because of the money that they've won as, as well, brother. And that's another narrative and story that's not being talked about, brother Ron. Yeah, you told me about some sisters that got killed recently, right, who had lead paid settlements. They, were, they came back from shopping? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, they came back from shopping, and that night uh, someone killed some of three of them, and they were killed. But uh, that's big business in Baltimore City, and uh, black lawyers don't even handle the cases. They have, most of the cases are handled by the Jewish lawyers in terms of the lead paint settlement cases because it's big money. And Baltimore, because it, because of uh, many of the homes uh, were built, of course, before the 50s, in which they used paint that had lead base, uh, lead base, um, uh, chemicals in it. And many of the, the homes, uh, uh, lead base and high levels of lead that are in the homes right now. So much so, as I said, that John Hopkins was able to start a new institution called Kennedy Krieger Children's Institute, which basically deals with a lot of children that have suffered from mental retardation and lack of development and many other physical ailments due to uh, the lead paint uh, inhalement and the injuries that they sustained from uh, the lead paint, brother. That's incredible stuff, man. Brother Muhammad is doing uh, doing the work of a thousand people. I tell you, man, you form our people, man. You got to do out of love. I know our people are sometimes hard-headed. Uh, we, it's not a thing going on with us right now. So you're doing this from love and from a strength that, that's from the ancestors, I tell you, man. Because like, also, when you Thank talk you. about you know, how they control the narrative, I'm thinking about Darren Wilson, man, because what happened to the broken eye socket? That was the media was pushing, the broken eye socket, then we saw the pictures after the grand jury stuff. What happened to the broken eye socket? What happened to, you know, I mean, it's, it's just fascinating that our people are not critically analyzing the situation like what, well, Baba uh, automatic talking about we need to learn critical thinking. 
we need to be learning how to critically analyze what's going on. And like you said, who benefits, who gains from these type of tragedies? Like, it's very Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. It's like what Naomi Klein talked about, the, uh, the shock doctrine, uh, you know, Milton Friedman, mm-hmm. how they talk about how they create a crisis, either real or imagined, they create something, they create opportunities to make money, to keep yeah, power, reaction, to grow power. Problem, reaction, solution. The, the, the Hegelian dialectic is what exactly. they Create the right. problem to get the reaction so they can come in with the solution. And unfortunately, every bit that we've been seeing with these high-profile cases around the country, from mm-hmm. um, uh, Trayvon Martin to uh, Fred Gray to Tamir Rice, I mean, this is classic of what we've been seeing, to Mike Brown. This is what we've been seeing. And unfortunately, what they do after that is they take their families and uh, they give their family out-of-court seal settlements, and the families can never really talk about the case. I mean, we saw that. uh, You'll see that in Mike Brown. You'll most likely see that in Tamir Rice. You'll most likely see that uh, here in Baltimore with Freddie Gray. And then they basically disconnect the families from the masses of black folk when it's not about just that one individual, but it's about, again, getting justice for all of our people. And for Billy Murphy, uh, who comes out of the Murphy family who started the Afro here in Baltimore and Washington, D.C., the Afro Mm. family, who was a civil rights family, there's no history of Billy Murphy filing one multi-class action lawsuit against Martin O'Malley when he was the mayor or the governor for his crimes against our people around the illegal unconstitutional uh, arrests in which they were arresting black people uh, basically because they had quotas and officers were threatened. If you didn't arrest a certain number of people per hour, per shift, per day, per week, per month, per quarter, per year, that you'd be busted down out of your position and uh, you may perhaps lose your job. So all of this was done because O'Malley wanted to use this to punch numbers and crunch numbers. And he learned this from Bratton up in New York and Giuliani up in New York so that they could use this uh, to basically further his campaign and use black people as trophies so that he could further his political position and political career, brother. So all right, of that it time sounds like Bill Clinton right to me. now in Baltimore City. Yeah, it sounds like Bill Clinton. Yeah, it was Bill Clinton. <laughs> he was basically yeah. an offspring, uh, genetic, mm-hmm. a genetic, what do you call it, a GMO? He was a GMO right. of uh, Bill Clinton for the most part. Brother. So he's an offspring of Daddy Clinton. So you can right. no commercial, who's your daddy? Don't let him fool you and trying to pretend like he's opposite of the Clintons. No, he's on the Clinton team, brother. Mr. Lay say we all the same gang. They're what they are, right? All the gang. Yeah, they all in the they all in the same they all in the same <laughs> gang. Of course, you know about the you know about the dirty history of the Clintons, brother. Oh, you know Arkansas. Oh Lord. Mina, Arkansas, and all the drugs they were bringing in from Columbia. Yeah. And, uh, all the numerous people. Last I checked, it was at least 70 or more people that was killed that was tied to the Clintons. And, uh, of course, we know Ron Brown. But there were many that they killed. There were many young girls that they turned out on drugs because they was bringing in $100 million worth of drugs a week in Hot mm. Spring, Arkansas. So they were bringing mm. in so much drugs, they were giving the drugs away, brother. And, and I want people to understand. That's the history. Right, you gotta understand. Bill Clinton come from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Hot Springs, Arkansas, back in the day, was a gangster hotbed. They were the cop looking channel when he was on the run for white slavery charges. They were only Madden who ran the cotton club. This is where he retired to Hot Springs, Arkansas. Al Capone, Maya Lansky, yeah, all the guys come to Hot Springs for vacation. So that's where Bill Clinton's only, from, y'all. Only correction you say. Only correction you said was. It still is. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's the Delta Dixie Mafia. Right. That's right. Rockefeller was the governor of of Arkansas. It was a Rockefeller. Because no people were saying that that Rockefeller was. The, they said that Clinton is the. The the love child. Been the Clinton is the illegitimate child of, That's the, right. of the uh, Rockefellers down there. It was the governor. Uh, they tried to kill him, too. Springs, That's right. 
Hot Spring, Arkansas. But Clinton is a Jesuit, so don't forget that. Carol Quigley in his book talks about that. None dare call it conspiracy or a tragedy and hope, in which he talks about, of course, uh, he being one of the handlers of Bill Clinton. So O'Malley is a Jesuit. So keep your eyes because they may have plans for him as they did with Bill Clinton, where they took an unknown governor and made him the president of the United States. They took an unknown senator for the most part by the name of Barack Hussein Obama, uh, Barry Satoro, out of Chicago, uh, mm-hmm. out of Hawaii, and made right. uh, him the president of the United States. So these are coups that we're looking at with Manchurian candidates, and uh, they may do the same uh, with uh, Martin O'Malley that nobody, for the most part, knows, and uh, may make him the president of the United States because of the, again, this is a, this is a corporation, not a country. Most people keep That's thinking right. that it's a country. This is a corporation. Uh, you can go online and go to Delaware, in which they incorporated the country or corporation in Delaware, and you'll realize that America is a corporation. So Obama is the CEO of the corporation called the United States of America, and Clinton was the CEO of the corporation. Remember, Obama came out of the DLC as well. He was in right. the DLC. And I got to thank Glenn Ford from Black Agenda Report and Bruce Dixon. They were the first ones to say that Obama was going to be made uh, the president. Now, they since said that they thought that the next person they would choose would be Cory Booker or some called Cory Hooker because he's so heavily tied to the hedge fund companies around the country right now. Mm-hmm. So keep your eye on Cory Booker as well. He's one that they're probably not talking about. And, and also, I will add this to that. One of their golden boys was Harold Ford Jr. from Tennessee. He was part of the DLC at one well, point. Harold Ford was one of the first ones. Yeah, he was right. one of the first ones. He was, one, he was the golden boy. Right. was Harold Ford. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So keep yeah. your eyes on that because their job was to basically keep black folk in place and uh, keep their foot on the, on the neck of black folk for the corporations and know that black folk was not going to push the Democratic Party to the, to the left anymore as long right. as you had the DLC, which is the conservative wing of the Democratic Party, that Clinton represented, Gore represented, uh, O'Malley represented, Kathleen Kennedy Towson represented, and Obama represents as well, brother. So thank you. And McCullough, right, the governor of Virginia. Right, McCullough, Terry. Well, he McCullough is right? down to Governor of Virginia, right? So mm-hmm. He's on him as well. He's yes, Okay, we, we're speaking of Delaware. We got a good brother, Dr. Issa. He's been waiting patiently to get in on this. Good doctor, are you there? Yeah, well, keep your yeah. eye on, on, on Joe Biden as well. Let me say this so we bring up Okay. Because I used to live in Delaware. So you talk about again, you talk about mobsters. I mean, Delaware is full of mobsters. Joe Biden comes out again. He's a Jesuit. He's a Knight right. of Malta. So the Knights of Malta, who basically have control over 104 countries, man, they don't even need passports when they go in out of these countries. Joe Biden is again in that uh, SCOM in terms of being a Knight of Malta. But Joe Biden came into office following a supposedly a tragic death of his wife and daughter, and he upseated. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Boggs and became the senator from Delaware in 72 and has been down there since then. So now mm. Joe Biden, uh, of course, has this tragedy of his son, Bo Biden, dying. He was the uh, attorney general in Delaware. Yeah. And his other son, Hunter Biden, was the head of Amtrak. So with all this talk about Amtrak hey, mm. and who's giving yeah. money to Amtrak, all you got to oh. do is look at the Biden family, brothers. We talk about who benefits. Hunter wow. Biden, who just recently got kicked out of the military because he failed a drug test. He was positive for cocaine, man. So you got most some real thugs up there in Delaware, brother. Just wow. wanted to share that with you before we Thank brought you, up the next caller from Delaware. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, good, good evening. Um, brother Darren, I wanted to ask you about me and um, Brother Ron talked about uh, this yesterday, and that is the uh, Fraternal Order of Police and their 100th anniversary um, being celebrated in Pittsburgh this mm-hmm. year. And in 100 years, 
this is also the the the, the uh, 100th year anniversary of the birth of the nation. So the mm-hmm. fraternal order of the police is um, you, you can't detach it from what's going on. This this mm-hmm. uprooting of um, 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 unarmed killings of black men and their ties to the KKK and the birth right. of and, and the re, the second rebirth of the um, KKK. And so mm-hmm. and um, I even proposed several months ago um, with Brother Austin Maddox that a delegation of black leaders, instead of protesting, go to that organization right before their convention and have a sit down with them and talk like people, like if we say that we're sovereign or we're a nation within the nation, mm-hmm. that we talk on that level. Two, um, I know you're right about what's, what went on in Ferguson. I'm from Ferguson. I was born and raised in that region. I'm merely from University City, but we mm-hmm. came out of Kenlock. Kenlock. That's Kenlock. my grandmother and grandfather. Yeah, you had it yeah. right. That was the first black incorporated town in uh, Missouri. Yeah. And so yeah. that's where I come from. We were displaced. My grandmother and them were one of the few families that still maintained their home, but everybody mm-hmm. else was displaced because of Lambert International Airport and the right that's all right. the money that's being pumped into that area. And those municipalities mm-hmm. are all black. Right? right, and they're trying to. It's a, it's a major ethnic cleansing. And when I went home to try to help the brothers and sisters there, I was approached by some of the corporate bagger Negroes. One sure. is, is, is the head of um, uh, uh, um, the Young Democrats, and this mm-hmm. Negro told asked me, um, "I heard that you had a case in Delaware. You need to get there." He was from Milwaukee. I'm like, "Dude, I'm from there." <laughs> you know. Yeah. My it was right around the corner. For my cousin is from these projects. But right. that's how serious it was. And you're right. All right. of those cats that came into Ferguson, all of them, they were all corporate baggers, Negroes, mm-hmm. and highly tied to the gay and lesbian community. Right. And the record show, I, I came out early and said that this was all George Soros before the Washington Times broke the article because I was there on the ground and I knew right. Everybody involved, the whites and the blacks who are local, because I'm I'm like, now what the hell? This person ain't never been involved in anything. You know what? This is a Jewish rich family. So you know, I was telling people, but they basically ran me out. You know. But and one last thing, brother, I really tried to get on your show at the height of my issue with involving the lynchings of uh, my barber and other people in my uh, criminal case in Delaware. You know, and I was never allowed to get on. I dialogued with you a few times, you know, but it's all over with now. But thank God. But um, you know, I, you know, when you have someone like me, who's an intellectual, who has a PhD, not a fake PhD, not an online, but from right. a legitimate university. Yeah. Yeah. You mean like one of my mom's right, PhD he got online. Yeah. You mean like, like, uh, maybe calling him a doctor? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who's published? Who was a university professor? And because I'm not, um, uh, 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 I'm not a Negro, and I've never sold out our people. I cannot get on any show, not even your show, to talk about what was done to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Negro. I refuse right. to sell out, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't come from a family that allowed me to sell out. They said take yes, a bullet first before you sell out. Right? Okay. And that's why I stayed the course, and I knew that I would be eventually acquitted of all charges. 
But I was kind of disappointed that I was never. I know the Joe. I know Joe Madison. I know how something. I knew that those Negroes wouldn't help me, right? But I was really disappointed that I could never get on your show. But you know, we can talk about that another time. Just yes. to really deal with the fraternal order of police. Thank you very yes. much, and I'll listen. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you for your call, brother, and thank you for your fight, and thank you for your tenaciousness. Um, well, let me first, I, I would apologize that we were never able to really link up and get you on the show. Uh, and, of course, I would definitely extend that invitation to have you on the show, but I humbly apologize that we weren't able to link up uh, to get you on the show, um, because sometimes you'll get people that right. come to you and say, well, you know, this happened, that happened, and, you know, mm-hmm. third party, fourth party, and I have to deal directly with the brother or sister that it occurred and happened to, because you're going to get people, you know, that come that are sincere and some that are insincere. So I remember right. reading about the case, uh, talking to some brothers and sisters uh, about the case, but not having all the facts on it. So I'll definitely extend that invitation uh, to have the brother on to give us an update on what has happened, uh, because his plight is, uh, and his plight is similar to many of our other people, brothers and sisters that are in uh, some of these institutions of higher learning that mean well, but uh, unfortunately, uh, they find themselves in the same fight of what's happening with brothers and sisters in, the, in our neighborhoods and in our communities as well. So just thank right. you, brother, for sharing that, uh, your story. Uh, as it relates to uh, talking about the fraternal order police, of course, that is a fraternity. So you're talking Freemasons. So we have to find a way, uh, I think, not just to go after them in terms of better time of physically meeting with them in Pittsburgh, but we have to see if, the, if we had a real federal government and the Department of Justice, not, not, not as uh, Attorney Automatic talked about, where you have uh, Eric Holder, and then you have Loretta Lynch. I mean, these are basically, you talk about gigolos and gigahoes of uh, mm-hmm. multinational corporations, and they're not willing to bring justice for our people. Now, if many of those who've been killed were gay, they probably would have responded uh, more fiercely and probably went in and dissolved the unions. You dissolve the unions, there's, there will be no more fraternal order police departments. But we can go after their pensions, and I think we have to teach our people how to go after pensions, how to go after the corporations and the banks where these police officers' pensions are kept for the most part. And many of them are kept in um, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, J.P. Morgan Bank. So we can go after them, but we got to be looking at how we can go after practically and tactically after the fraternal order police. And so, you know, they all say when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So Rome in America is the last extension of the Roman Empire. So we have to be willing to use uh, all options and put all options on the table to give all of our people an opportunity to participate in uh, breaking the back of uh, the fraternal order police. And uh, we have to be willing to, to use all options. And I think those are one or two of the options that we can use uh, with this being the 100th anniversary of the uh, Fraternal Order of Police, as our brother talked about. So thank you, brother, again. And I want to thank you, brother, as well, for you know spending time, quality time with our people. Like I said, I look forward to having this show amplified through our different um, means of distribution and whatnot. But I want to know, people have been asking probably, where can we hear you live? How can we hear you on a regular basis, brother? There will be some good things that we need to do in order to keep in touch well, with you. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm on Twitter, and you can reach me on social media at number one, State of the City. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm on uh, W as in world, F as in friend, B as in brother, R as in your raggedy radio station, WFBR 1590. Uh, we, we stream live on TuneIn Radio Monday at 12 noon, which, of course, is tomorrow, Thursday at 12 noon, and uh, Saturdays at 12 noon. So that's how they can definitely reach me uh, there. Uh, don't have a phone number that I can give out that they can reach me for the most part, but they can listen and tune in there. Uh, and um, you can reach me on email at darrenmohammed at gmail.com. That's D-A-R-E-N, one N and uh, one R. So that's how you can reach me, Muhammad spelled M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D at gmail.com. And I uh, will respond 
uh, for just giving some time to reach back out to your um, request. And uh, that's basically how you can reach it, brother. Thank you. Do you have any uh, special events coming up this week? Perhaps you want to tell the people about. Uh, we have an event coming up. We have an event coming up Wednesday. If you heard myself and brother David Johnson, who's in the Hebrew Israelite community, uh, we're doing a lecture teaching uh, along with another brother, brother Donald Smith, and uh, brother David Wiggins uh, on this upcoming Wednesday, which is the 17th of June, the birthday of brother Steve Coakley. And so we chose that day due to the fact that it's the birthday of brother Steve Coakley, uh, one of our brothers who could really connect the dots and talk about the inter- interlocking relationships of corporations, foundations, bankers, those in real estate, those in politics, politics, sociology, and all other uh, levels, the fraternities and sororities, uh, the Masons, uh, the Boulets. And so we're going to be breaking a lot of that down on Wednesday at uh, Coppin State University, one of our HBCUs here in Baltimore. Um, We're going to be talking about that from 6 to uh, 10 p.m. this upcoming Wednesday uh, at Coppin State. So that's free, and that's going down. Uh, other than that, Friday and Saturday, I'm going to be at uh, in Washington, D.C. I had Brother Carl Nelson on my radio show yesterday. Mm-hmm. Carl, is, I often refer to him as the maestro of Black Talk Radio. Well, he's doing mm-hmm. Power Talk 1, which he did last year. This year, it's Power Talk 2, not for one day, but two days. And uh, we'll be hearing from a numerous speakers from uh, Brother, well, we'll start with the women, Dr. Patricia Newton, one of our foremost psychologists. Uh, that can really help our people heal. These are really like our first responders that can help our people heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome and heal from racism, white supremacy. Uh, So those are our first responders. Dr. Patricia Newton, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Uh, Francis Cress Welsing, uh, who uh, we will be honoring uh, this weekend. We're going to hear from, um, let's see, Baba Dick Gregory. We're going to hear from Dr. Claude Anderson. We're going to hear from Brother Renoko Rashidi. We're going to hear from Dr. Tony Browder. We're going to hear from uh, Brother Ashwa Kwesi and his beautiful wife, uh, uh, Dr. Kwesi, as well. Uh, and it could be somebody else that I'm missing, but it's, it's going to be at Union Temple Baptist Church under the leadership of Reverend Willie Wilson. We'll hear from Reverend Willie Wilson. So all that's going down, but the Professor Griff is going to be there. So all that's going down on this upcoming Friday and Saturday, it's going to be a two-day Power Pack event, uh, again, brought to you by Brother Carl Nelson, who uh, hosts, uh, from my perspective, probably the number one talk radio show uh, in America right now. Tomorrow, he's going to have Byron Allen on. Byron Allen, for those that may not know, has brought a $20 billion lawsuit against Comcast and Time Warner for basically uh, not sharing the black dollars. Also, speaking of dollars, one person I failed to mention was Dr. Jim Klingman of Blackonomics.com, who's going to be speaking as well. But uh, anyway, tomorrow, I think Byron Allen's going to be on with Carl Nelson tomorrow. And you can catch that on WOL uh, 1450, or you can tune in on TuneIn Radio uh, as well to listen to that interview tomorrow. But Carl Nelson will be hosting this event, Power Talk 2, uh, in Washington, D.C. I think it's a two-day event for both days. I believe it's $65 for one day. It's $35. But with all of those host of speakers, brother, you, uh, in the words of this being a Black Music Month, in the words of uh, Don Cornelius, you can bet your bottom dollar, brother, this is a show you don't want to miss on this upcoming Friday <laughs> and Saturday, brother Ron. That was great, man. I wish I was there. I'd be there in spirit. But I forgot that Umar Johnson will be speaking as well, too. Yeah, and I forgot yeah, Umar, Umar Johnson as well. Good brother. I respect brother Umar Johnson. Um, I think he needs to start small, as the brother always talks about. He wants to build a school. Uh, you got to start where you are. you got to cast down your buckets, as Booker T. Washington said. If you want to build mm-hmm. a school like we all started, all of us started as a clock. We started as sperm. That's how we start. So anything that we're going to build, we got to build small. He has a grandiose, mm-hmm. he has a good idea to want to build in terms of building a campus, but we got to start small. The most honorable Elijah Muhammad, 
the Honorable Noble Drew Ali, the Honorable Marcus Garvey, the Honorable Booker T. Washington. They all who built schools started small. Mary McLeod Bethune started small. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. got to start small. You can't start large. And so sometimes when you hear our brother, he sounds bitter as opposed to sounding better. So he has to look at brothers like Brother Marcus Klein, who's in Chicago. Brother Marcus Klein started schools and got one of the best African-centered schools in Chicago, if not in the country. So he mm-hmm. has to start small. Otherwise, he can become very bitter and uh, you'll end up uh, uh, leaving the battlefield as opposed to staying on the battlefield, brother. So I want to see our brother, uh, Umar Johnson, be successful. But you got to start small and uh, start right there in Philadelphia. If the people in Philadelphia believe in him enough to watch him grow to become what he's become, then start right there in Philadelphia. Start in Pennsylvania where you can start your school, but give our people something they, they can believe in and see right there in Philadelphia before you talk about doing it in Virginia or leaving and going back home to Africa and doing it in Africa. Africa is wherever the Africans are. And if you're going to build a school, right, start right there where you are. Uh, show our people what you're willing to do. And uh, then our people will definitely back you and continue to support our brother. So I just wanted to say that, and I say it out of love and pray that our brother takes that uh, in that spirit. And the same thing with Tariq Nasheed while I'm talking about that. Because I believe where he's basically come in and use the conscious community and use the black community uh, to nestle up to some of our scholars, uh, such as those that's going to be at Power Talk, uh, to promote himself and to promote good information in his documentary. But then the brothers been pimping our women. I mean, you know, he was a former pimp and still a pimp. So we got to grow and uh, be able to take on those righteous names, and our behavior should, should dictate those names that we're taking on. And again, I say that out of love, brother so that there's much more that a brother to receive to do to liberate the hearts and the minds and the souls of our spirit, and likewise, uh, Brother Umar Johnson and countless others as well. But we're at a time of universal deception, brother, where they'll take uh, brothers and sisters, and uh, as we've seen them take with Al Sharpton, and they're not black leaders, but they're misleaders, and they're blacks who will be in place in the league right now, and we're at a dangerous time where we can't have this confusion among our people uh, in any way, shape, and form. And if we see that confusion, then we it's blessed to those of us uh, that have the, the, the ears of the people and the hearts of the people to be able to, I think, make it plain for the people right now, Brother Ron. Oh, thank you for that. Brother, how can we give, like, you know, people say they've been inspired, they've been empowered by what they heard today. And I, I know also know on other days people that follow you very closely. How can people support you directly, like, you know, contributions or whatever, donations? How can people get that to you and what you do? Well, we all, well, I thank you for asking, and I always say not donations. I, I get enough of them. They're the ones that don't send anything. They say, Muhammad, I, I sent you a donation, brother. So I always say, no, send me a, send me a, send us a, send us a donation, brother, not a donation. We always say donation, brother. So send that, send that donation, D-O-O, all right, uh, and you can make a check or money order. And uh, to WFBR, you can send it directly to the station. Uh, we're at 159 8th Avenue. That's A-T-H Avenue. Uh, Glenn Bernie, spell two words, G-E-L-N, and Bernie, B-U-R-N-I-E, Jim Ber- Glenn Bernie Maryland, 21061. And that money doesn't go to me. It goes for paying for the radio show. We don't, we don't work for the radio station. That way we can stay free. And uh, all we got to do is play the disclaimer. And as long as we're not violating any FCC rules, then when we open up the microphones, we can go deep and steep. And uh, we don't have to worry about somebody trying to pull the reins and say we can't name the names because we come out of the tradition of black radio, brother, where we name the names and we call names and we name call when we have to, you know, and that's what's missing. And when our people hear that, it, it livens them, it quickens their spirit, 
and they want more of that kind of radio because we grew up at a time where we could hear that um, and we didn't have to wait for just a one day a week or two days a week to hear a kind of show like Brother Ron's or Brother Muhammad. We heard that every day uh, coming up in our prospective cities around the country, and that's been the attack on uh, real grassroots organic black radio right now. So we got to fight for that and support uh, real relevant organic black radio that give us that kind of truth with the proof up in the booth wherever we are. That's right. uh, but that's one way. And, of course, you know you can always reach me if you're me say, next time you're in town, we got to take you to one of my favorite spots. All of our radio hosts, all of our active activists, man, always had our favorite spots. I took you to everyone's place bookstore, which is that's probably right. one of the number one favorite spots because that's a place that we could always meet at our black bookstores and black cafes. So the other one is Terra Cafe. I'm right there at 159 uh, 25th Street. So you can always reach me there as well. Any information, anything you have to share, you in Baltimore, you come by there, you ask them for Brother Muhammad. You ain't got to say the first name. You just say Brother Muhammad. They know which Muhammad you're asking about. They know, <laughs> they're right. allowed to imitate and some they're perpetrated. If you say Brother Muhammad, they know which Muhammad you're talking about. Um, so, again, that's all you have to do to reach us. You can write your letters if you want to the radio station, uh, WFBR, and I'll uh, be more than happy to you know receive your letters and respond to them. Uh, and, of course, you can always reach me on social media as well. So uh, just thank you for asking, brother. But that's how you can reach me, and that's how you can support us in terms of money orders, in terms of uh, cash or checks. Not cash, but checks, per se. Uh, we're not set up for PayPal as of yet, but we will set up, essentially, uh, for PayPal. And we don't have a GoFundMe account or anything like that. We just say, uh, give from your heart, you know, because we have to pay, unfortunately. Uh, where others are being paid to tell our people lies. We've got to pay to do customized radio and uh, to give our people truth. But if that's the price we have to pay, and uh, as the most honorable Elijah Muhammad once said, that uh, his bank is the hearts of black people. So I always say my bank is the hearts of black people. So as long as we're telling the truth, and black people will continue to support us so that we can stay on the air and continue to give them this information, brother. Well, thank you, Brother Muhammad, for that. And I also want to add to people that, so Baltimore is probably one of the most African places in America. I mean, all this is really like well, Dr. Randy Wilson told me the jazz giant in so many ways. He said America is Africa. But you look at Baltimore, you know, yeah. they produce people like Brother Darren Muhammad and Frederick Douglass and even Tupac, you know, even gave Oprah her, her jump start in her billion dollar empire yeah. and whatnot. So Baltimore, see, they attack us at our strongest point. But since we have no knowledge, still we don't understand where we come from. And that is the problem, the system that is built around identity politics. If you don't know how to name yourself, you can't claim anything. You can't claim your rightful inheritance. So now is the time, mm -hmm. as all this stuff is going around, is to find out who we are, develop that narrative, and claim that narrative so we can help our inheritance in this system that denies us everything. So we deny ourselves when we don't try and work with each other and try to build each other up instead of turning each other down. Be the, be the uh, architect of your success, but not the mastermind of your demise. So black folks, we got to support Brother Darren Muhammad and people like that out in the field doing battle for our people. Um, and the words of great Duke Ellison. Oh, me... Go ahead, go ahead, Brother brother Darren. I want to say this, as you mentioned, in terms of you said in terms of, uh, you know, not turning each other down, because I think when some people here speak the kind of truths that we speak. No, 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 yeah, definitely. And, and, I'm not uh, saying you, you're not doing that. <laughs> no, 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 but, but I want to say that because we'll have those that will say, well, you would turn down some oh. of the brothers. And I would say none of us none of us should think that we're ever above reproaching up. That's right. So That's right. And, and if we, as the most humble Elijah Muhammad said, 
All you have to do is take a dirty glass and sit that dirty glass or clean glass next to the dirty glass, and the people will choose for themselves. So if I'll score, unquote, the leaders that they're putting out in front of us, if their glass is clean, they wouldn't have a problem with my glass being sit next to the right. place next to theirs so that right. people could see them for who they really and truly are, brother. So, and sometimes we got to deconstruct so that we can reconstruct in terms of building our communities and building our people and our movements, brother. So that's all part of, again, our quest and our movement toward the total liberation of our people completely uh, so that we're not fooled by the games that are being played on our people today. So I just wanted to add that, brother. And I, I guess I say, you know, I know Dr. Issa, I know he said something about online degrees. A lot of people right now, they are doing online degrees. A lot of universities, traditional brick-and-mortar schools, they're going online so they can make more money. I mean, because education is big business. I don't want to give anybody a misconception what an online degree is. You, know, you got some, some shady schools out there. You got some shady brick-and-mortar schools. You got some schools that are very well respected, like John Hopkins with a shady pad. And, you know, questionable things going on right now. So, it's all about perception, but I'm glad that you did that, Brother Muhammad, because you talk about transparency and truth, and you speak from a place of love. And, you know, it's like it's tough love. It's criticism, but it's constructive. It's not, you know, destructive criticism at all. But I think a lot of times we do need to help, like you just said, you know, there's, I guess a, a disclaimer, so to speak, about, you know, how what we're doing, what we're doing. Because my thing is this. I, I actually had a chance to go up to the Shabazz Center up in New York on Malcolm's 90th birthday, would have been his 90th birthday. And I stood in that room about a couple of hours. But the problem is we're not hearing Brother Malcolm. We don't we don't understand what he's saying. Forget about the rhetoric and let's get the results. Forget about the rhetoric yes, and let's get the results. And so, like, you know, we need to leave Thank something you. behind. You mean, Mary McCarthy started with their own equipment with just a dollar something in the bank. And she was able to acquire real estate. She had the ears of presidents. She had, you know, she had, she found a way to make a way. Like with Booker T. Washington, they built every building themselves. You know, he didn't find Tuskegee, but they appointed him. Here, Negro, do something with this. And he did something. With, they did with Marcus Garvey, but we got to be in the business of leaving behind institutions and each one teach one. We got to leave behind something for the next generation to build upon. Steve Copley should not be forgotten about. You know, Brother Bear Muhammad should not be forgotten about. Nobody should be forgotten about that fought a battle for our people. Nobody should be forgotten about. Nobody should be left behind. And all the ancestors, thank God for all the ancestors that came before. Because like I told earlier, it's like, you know, people say nonviolence, this and that. I'm telling you, I got ancestors in my family. They had to kill some crackers to protect their women. Yes, sir. And to protect themselves. I wouldn't be talking to you, Brother Muhammad, right now if my ancestors didn't kill some crackers or kill some people that were disrespecting their family. See, that's a story we need to tell as well, too, because self-preservation yes, is the number one law of nature. So I want to thank Brother Muhammad for Absolutely. having the courage and, and speak his truth to power. And also, I want to ask you one question. I like the longest route. I like my Baptist preachers. I want the Baptist preachers from. How do you do what you do, man? Like, you, like you live fearlessly or something. Like, you don't have bodyguards or anything. No, not at all. Oh, we do with love, brother. And uh, I thought, as the woman legend always said, I thought the God I serve couldn't protect me. Doesn't mean I won't be watchful. Don't mean I'm not vigilant. Doesn't mean I'm not cautious about where I eat. I'm not going to be paranoid, although I love right. paranoia. It's good and healthy for you. That's you right. know, you couldn't be, you can't be a black man in America without having some paranoia. That's right. Yes, so sir. We have, to be, we have to be mindful. We have to be as wise as the serpent, but as humble as the dove as well. Um, you know, so I think that if, once we do that, and once I think the ancestors and the creator chooses you, then, you know, he don't leave another footprint for somebody else. So, you know, I think God will direct you. And so you have to do as George Washington Carver said, 
when they asked him, uh, you know, how was he able to do what he did as it, as, it, as it relates to working with the plants and working with nature? And he said, I listen to them. So whatever mm. I do, I listen to the spirit within, brother. And so what I do is I listen to what's around me. And so unfortunately, we're in a time now in a society we have more people tuning into things and not tuning into each other and tuning into themselves. And so I just tell people, tune in more, and then you'll see how you can be moved. And he'll just take an, an instrument that you may see yourself as just an ordinary brother and sister, and he'll be able to use you uh, in that way and in that shape and in that form. And we just have to stay humble with uh, whatever blessings we receive and whatever knowledge that we receive because, you know, without that universe of God force, we're nothing. We don't know nothing. We can't even breathe on our own. So that's how we have to look at life and, and, and be humble with what it is we do. Um, and we're, we're approaching this week, I think, is Juneteenth. So we have to remember our ancestors. Right. Friday is Juneteenth. Saturday right. is the first day of summer. So we can't forget uh, the greatest people that ever lived in terms of those that went through that Mayafa. And as Dr. Mm-hmm. Patricia Newton always say, the Africans that got on that ship are not the same Africans that got off the ship in terms of what happened to our mothers and fathers. And so while America... And uh, the president and the globalists are talking about the Trans-Pacific Free Trade Agreement. Then they have mm-hmm. one called the Trans-Atlantic Free Trade Agreement. I mm. think that right there ought to make black folk quick sit up and pay attention. Because the last time they had a Trans-Atlantic Free Trade <laughs> Agreement, it was black bodies coming over on ships right. from West Africa. That's that ought right. to make us pay attention. What, what are these white folk up to now? See, that's, that's that healthy paranoia on here. I'm going to transatlantic free trade agreement. Like, what are these white folk up to now? And, that's right. and, and where do we fit in the picture on this, you know? So just thank you, brother, again, uh, for just uh, extending the invitation. Uh, thank you for making the trip up to Baltimore when we came up. Thanks for honoring me on. uh, with yeah. your presence and sitting in with me on the State of the City. And uh, thank you and thank all your listeners and thank all your um, supporters that continue to support you. And as I said before, we are going to work together with the uh, 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King coming up, and we want to come down and do a reenactment because that trial and that case that happened in 1999, many Mm -hmm. of our people don't even know about it, brother. So we got to indict those that need to be indicted. Uh, We got to, again, uh, open it up so that we can free the generation that lived through the age of assassination and free generations uh, to come regarding what happened to Dr. King and many of our great leaders. Uh, and we're encouraging Malcolm X family to do the same, to sue to make them files come open regarding what happened to Brother Malcolm so we could free the Shabazz family, free the generations that lived through that age of assassination, and free future generations as well, and then take down those quote-unquote civil rights leaders or misleaders that we know were no more than agent provocateurs that played a hand in the demise of many of our great leaders, brother. So we're at that time now where we have those that are willing and ready and able and have been brought forth to do just that, brother. And we don't care who they are, uh, whatever their names may be, whatever their positions may be, whatever their conditions may be. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Thank you, brother.